chance that when we push that button we destroy the world chances are near zero near zero christopher nolan is one of the biggest science fiction directors of our time a couple months ago we covered interstellar the 2014 movie he did with the physicist kip thorne science in Interstellar was completely theoretically plausible. Christopher Nolan's curiosity and dedication to scientific accuracy is basically lore at this point. We're not meant to save the world. We're meant to leave it. Rangers, the last components of our one versatile ship in orbit. In 2021, Nolan read the biography American Prometheus by Martin Sherwin and Kai Bird. American Prometheus is a 2005 biography which is written over the course of 25 years on the life of J. Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb. Oppenheimer was a German-Jewish-American theoretical physicist who led the Manhattan Project's Los Alamos Laboratory during World War II. A supremely complicated figure who was interested in Sanskrit and Hinduism, quoting the Bhagavad Gita, I remembered the Oppenheimer was a student of the Ethical Culture School, an avowed leftist, and a supporter of the Spanish Republic, a sometimes communist, and a poet. Well, I don't want to speak for others because we're all different. Uh, I, uh, I think when you play a, a meaningful part in bringing about the death of over 100,000 people and the injury of a comparable number, uh, you naturally uh, don't think of that as with ease. 
I believe we had a great cause to do this, but I do not think that our consciences should be entirely easy at stepping out of the part of studying nature, learning the truth about it, uh, to change the course of human history. Long ago, I said once that uh, in a crude sense, which no vulgarity and no humor could quite erase, the physicists had known sin. And I didn't mean by that the deaths that were caused as the result of our work. I meant that we had known the sin of pride. He also led the Trinity test and ended up becoming responsible for the atomic bomb's development before it was dropped on Japan in World War II. He became an establishment democratic figure during the Truman administration, but also came to regret, though not apologize for, his role in the development of the atomic bomb. This regret earned the ire of figures like Louis Strauss and Edward Teller, who wished for the development of the super bomb, the hydrogen-based next step to the atomic bomb. Dr. Teller, the weather has been quite violent around the world this year. Is there any possibility this might be due to nuclear test explosions? You know, there have been few things that have not been dragged in to explain the weather. And furthermore, there have been few disagreeable occurrences that have not been blamed on nuclear tests. So nobody should be surprised that if the weather is violent, nuclear tests should be considered as the risk in actual tests. Nuclear explosions are far too small to change the weather. Much greater energy are involved in thunderstorms and in cyclones and in cold fronts than nuclear explosions could possibly fur. This led to Oppenheimer being the most high-profile member of government to be brought down during the McCarthy era. Oppenheimer is a pretty on-point adaptation of American Prometheus. What were you guys doing in Los Alamos? And how many people were in these uh, open discussions? Killian Murphy plays J. Robert Oppenheimer, Robert Downey Jr. Louis Straws, and Benny Safdie plays Edward Teller. Matt Damon plays Leslie Groves, the Army Corps of Engineers officer, who oversaw the Manhattan Project. Nolan took the book's part-by-part -part telling of Oppenheimer's life and mixes up the parts on purpose so that three different stories are being told simultaneously. The story of Oppenheimer's rise, fall, and the fall of Louis Straws. Nolan clearly wishes for this to be a cautionary tale, and it's a clear and well-worn one. There is so much to talk about with this movie, and I'd rather we do it as a panel than take up any more of this time. It's happening, isn't it? Anyway, before I introduce the panel, please like this video and subscribe to the Movie Night Extravaganza YouTube channel. Hit that bell to get notified whenever we're streaming. Also, we are now monetized, so if you have any pressing questions during this live stream, send us a super chat, which helps me keep the show running, which I am obligated by international law, human rights law, to answer. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash movie night extra. All of our after parties are on there forever. Okay, let me introduce the panel. 
Conan Neutron, host of Britonic Reversal, co-host of Movie Night Extravaganza, and frontman for Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends, neutronfriends.bandcamp.com. Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends has a new split LP with Lung, Adult Prom, available now on Bandcamp. <laughs> J. Andrew World, illustrator, book cover artist, artist for Give Them an Argument, co-host for Movie Night Extravaganza, and Bad Takes. Christina Oaks. This Barbie is streaming on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Cosmopolitics. Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky at Cosmopolitics. Send her some subs on Twitch. Zach Marsh. He's a filmmaker, musician, contributing editor at Filmspeak. His current project is a talk in the park, and he's on Letterboxd. Now I am become Forrest, destroyer of streams. Bombs away, baby. <laughs> there it is. Of course, the part of it, J. Andrew will be played by the Wolfman with a guitar for tonight's stream. <laughs> I'm sure he'll pop up. I'm sure he'll pop up at some point. <laughs> uh, Zach Marsh, welcome back. It's been a hot minute. It's uh, the, the last time uh, it, it was a triangle of sadness. And um, yeah, yeah, you, you've been a busy boy. You're also busy being on mute, by the way, if you're not aware. And of now that. it's and now it's atom bomb of sadness. I was over. I was over polite with the. I was muting myself during the intro, and I. It's the Canadian in you, yeah, for sure. I, you know, I, 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 we appreciate that about you. Welcome back. Yeah, it's been it's been a hell of a time. You've you've been really busy with uh, with your short film, and um, yeah, yeah, we're kind of talking about that before the show. Thanks, thanks for having me back. Yeah, no, it's uh, talk in the park has been uh, it's it's been a resounding success as far as I'm concerned. I, you know, when I made this film a year ago, I had no, I mean, I submitted to Sundance, I submitted to a bunch of festivals. I had no expectation it was going to get to any of them. And it's been in 11 so far. Um, it's had an in-person screening in Toronto. Nice. I believe it played in Bali and I'm going to New Zealand at the end of the month to support Oh, wow. Yeah. Not like, bad. <laughs> The festival in New Zealand contacted me, and, and uh, one of the organizers has connections to uh, some theaters in Berlin, Germany. And apparently, in October or November, it's going to play. It's going to have its European premiere, as just adjacent to the New Zealand festival. So, That's um, it's lit a fire nice. in my ass. I, I've actually started writing a feature film now. Uh, I, I, I saw you tease that out with an Instagram uh, post, if I remember correctly. Yes, I, I've been in, I've been in contact with an actor I know is a friend of mine. I, th I believe she's going to be the co-lead in it, and um, it's it. I I believe it is a very feasible, easy film. I mean, it's not easy to make any film, but I believe it's a film that just budget-wise, in terms of just the logistics of making it, it's very feasible that I can make it in the next. Uh, I, I believe that I can have the film shot by this time next year. Exciting so. stuff. Of course, that's not the reason why you're on this show. I mean, we, love, we, we love all that stuff. But one of the reasons why is how many times have you seen this film so far? Oppenheimer, I've seen four times. Same. Yeah. Pretty good. Regrettably, Pretty good. I could not make it this week to go for number five. Um, but I do you're intend to because it's still playing and it's still playing at Scotiabank Theater here. I I'm hoping this week or next <laughs> I'm going to get number five in. You should have uh, you should have like, watched the one with um with the with the Indian uh, casino <laughs> subtitles, that's I, the one. <laughs> I will never, ever, ever, ever watch this movie in a tourism form. But uh, fun fact: it was Robert Pattinson who gave Christopher Nolan uh, American Prometheus to read. Oh wow! Really? Really? Edward Cullen, yeah, because he was in his last film. 
He was in uh, Tenet, yeah. Yeah. And he's like the uh, one person who's not really in Oppenheimer. Book. He's like the one actor on Earth. Yeah. Yep. He's like he's like I'm gonna secure myself some work and then does not get cast in the. I, I don't want to narc anybody out, but it would look like this if that was a thing that, of course, anybody <laughs> in this show did. I, I, no, I, we didn't do you, that. I, I need you to get that off the screen. I'm gonna fall. Otherwise, I'm gonna throw up on camera. <laughs> so, um, somewhere like Christopher Nolan just got a pain in his side. He's like, oh, where did that come from? <laughs> I think I think sorry, who took was that? Who took that screenshot? I, I think no, nobody on this stream. Nobody. I tell you that. I, I think Christopher Nolan might be beating them to death with a chair right now. Yeah, exactly. There's a power outage, and it's, it's Christopher Nolan. Oh yeah, you see, just pulling the plug like Wiley Coyote. Yeah. <laughs> um, yo, so so while making the intro, I I realized that it was 1965 when Oppenheimer uh, said that you know now I am become death destroyer of worlds thing. But in is, the movie. Wait, which is 20 years after the he dropped, you know, the, the Trinity test, which yeah. makes it so that he had 20 years to think of like something really cool to say. He's like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Like when, when that when it happened, you know what I mean? Like I was I was, uh, you know, that's what I was thinking. And uh, so in, in American Prometheus, which I've read and I just, you know, I read like the, the you know, the, the entire Los Alamos part, like the last couple of days again, so I could be briefed up on it. Uh, Frank Oppenheimer, like his brother, said that the actual quote that everybody said when the bomb went off was just, it worked. <laughs> oh, it's just like when this show goes on air at the right time. Oh, it <laughs> but works. It's really right. funny that like permanently that's been like scarred into his, because uh, it's like, yeah. you know, it's such a memorable thing to like compare the bomb to, you know, uh, Vishnu and the Bhagavad Gita. And it's just like, he probably didn't like think that like he had, he had a really long time to just like, think about like cool to, to come up with something cool well but it makes sense right because if you think about like he had the time to reflect on on, on what it meant to the world at large how, yeah. the, how the world had changed etc cetera, etc cetera. uh and, and, yeah it's a, it's a great line it, but it's funny that it's like yeah when it's said in the movie it's, when it's in the movie it's not <laughs> it's the equivalent of it's the equivalent of uh i don't know if you have seinfeld fans in the house but when george costanza yeah. tries to use his jerk store line on the guy and it backfires and He's in like the car driving home from the conference. And then I remember he... when I saw the movie for the first time, I literally screamed, What? And everyone was like, What? what? I'm like, Yeah, nothing, nothing, nothing. It's cool. It's cool. No, nothing. She's also, she's also just holds the book up. She's like, Read this. What, what does this yeah. say? And it's yeah, just yeah, that page. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You read Sanskrit? Read the yeah. Sanskrit right now. Prove it. Show he's me. Like, he's like, Well, in this paragraph, she's like, No. Read the fucking words, dude. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not asking for a summary of the bag of Agita, bro. I just want you to. I want you to prove that you're. I want you to prove you're not lying to me right now. Just like that time yeah. you said that you said that when they dropped the atom bomb, and you probably just said it works. Like, did you guys know? Like recently, information came out that they shot the movie within like two months because they were quickly trying to build up the Los Alamos scene. Uh, you know, uh, set. And Christopher Nolan got that done on, you know, on time. And I'm like, damn, that's some effective work. And Kelly Murphy a- had like six months to prepare. And he doesn't go into detail about how he had a, how we ended up having a 24 inch waist, whatever. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I'm assuming it's the Judy Garland diet, you know, cigarettes, chicken broth, liquids. I don't know. I'm just going to have to hit him up because I'm, you know. I'm- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but also gaining back that weight. You These have three weird back. tricks. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I also think it's ironic that, you know, the chain smoking is like a real Oppenheimer thing, right? Like he was so constantly much, yeah, fucking yeah. He smoked like five packs yeah. a day or something, yep. which means that like they dropped the fucking bomb. They did the Trinity test. He was near enough, that you know, didn't kill him. Yeah, that well, that didn't give him cancer. But 
with like 20 years later he got cancer from smoking yeah so like yeah. <laughs> he, he poisoned himself at uh trinity just not the way you'd expect yeah yeah hey everybody i did uh, i you know i did like the idea that christopher nolan saw the book and he looked at cover and he was like i want to make this into a movie i know who could do this mm-hmm. because killing murphy has been in the industry for over t- like 25 years now yeah. And I feel like with Peaky Blinders and now Oppenheimer, he's finally getting a stoop, which he's probably like. Like, I, yeah, I remember you, you invoking Peaky Blinders. I remember people being like, oh, who's this guy? It's like, who's that guy? Like, he's like one of the great character actors of this generation, yeah. man. Like, yeah. where 28 days later? Hello. I mean, yeah. like. Red like, Eye. Yeah. Like, also, uh, but he's a that guy. As much as he's an yeah. attractive dude, he's a that guy actor. He's a that well, very prolific Nolan. Nolan actor, too. Though. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. right. He's in the 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 Scarecrow and the, the Batman movies. All three. He's, yep. Yeah. So he's, he's the one that he did like work yep. with a bunch, uh, you know, and then and then put But for the with... larger audience, like your your mainstream audience, they'd be like, oh, who's that guy? Except yeah, that's yeah. the guy that that's the guy that hung brain in uh twenty eighteen later. <laughs> He certainly did. That was that yeah. was doing that episode and that rewatch. I was like, oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> I like when they Fair have enough. the TV, like they have the made for TV version. They try to just like center it out, and it's like already pixelated because that movie is shot because it's so, like, it's yeah because yeah. he shot it on like early digital and it's like was never meant to be upscaled or anything along those lines because 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 yeah. he was trying to Boyle was tr- like like not having a lot of fun shooting movies and wanted to do something quick and dirty. And like, that was very much of the moment, which is hilarious. Cause now I feel like the fast zombie thing has become like internalized yeah. to the point that certain stylistic things that are in that movie are emulated just because they're good in that movie rather than being like stylistic things. Yeah. That and, yeah. What's, yeah. and what's fascinating about, you know, with Oppenheimer is that of course there's so many memes, but there's that, you know, if y'all ever saw once upon a time and there's that scene where Leonardo DiCaprio recognizes himself, you know, in, a, in, in like a scene, like a scene, where he's Brad Pitt's stunt double, it was like every time I saw someone I recognized for Oppenheimer, oh, oh, there I am, oh, right. oh, there I am, and I'm like, because this yeah. movie has a ton of cameos, and I was like, I was like, whoa. I also think it's, I also think it's really funny that this is a meme juggernaut because yes. the, the serious Matt, like the the, the, the thing it's a serious film, it, yeah. right? It's like yeah. I mean, no one's known for making serious films, but I, yeah. I I love that it's a meme juggernaut, and also. I mean, I guess we should just bring bring it up. The whole like Barbie being inexorably like tied to it now yeah, is yeah. just delicious. Yeah. Well, I love it. It's just I love both movies. A, so. We're at such a terrifying point. I feel like in some ways because of you know the Ukraine war right now, and for the first right. time we have another you know another power with just as many nukes as we. I mean, probably more nukes than we do. Uh, like that we're kind of in direct proxy conflict with at least, and like so this feels like a time that we should be looking at you know. Our, our arsenal and saying like hey like maybe we should learn the lessons from uh you know from like 70 80 whatever years ago when we, when this was all being developed and it's like instead right. well i don't think that like society at large is always ready to grapple with that so we're just on twitter like hey let's post memes of fucking einstein going i remember you was conflicted misusing your influence and shit like that <laughs> where it's just like the most <laughs> my, my favorite my favorite like TikToks is like when they have like when someone's posting like the ending scene of Oppenheimer, but they're playing "What Was I Made For" from the Barbie movie. And I'm like, honestly, that actually kind nice. of makes sense too, you know? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. works. Yeah. Um, what, what, what do you, Zach? How do you feel about the the memification of Oppenheimer and uh, the whole Barbenheimer phenomenon? Uh, since well, I mean, I, the memification I think is great because I think it just I, I always enjoy when a movie um, gets memed in a way that is like adverse to what the movie is 
<laughs> yeah. You know, right. I think yeah. like this is the, like the most serious movie you could see. The memes are almost all fucking hilarious. Um, yeah. Barbenheimer was, I just think, was a great thing for like movie theaters. I actually think that I, I, because I, I go to the movie, I go to like the movies, I go to the theater like a hundred times a year, and yeah. I Lucky. genuinely feel that I have witnessed the lingering positive effect of Barbenheimer yeah. in the fact that like, you know, how packed Talk to Me was. How pa I just saw sure. Bottoms, which I wasn't yeah. a huge fan of, but like it was every seat was full for Bottoms, you mm -hmm. know, things like that. Like I feel like you know, it's 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 rejuvenated the movie going experience. Yeah, um, I think you're honest, because I think it's like people have remember now. Oh yeah, it can be fun to just go to the movies, which I know yeah. sounds reductive. Obviously, we know that we're on a movie podcast, but like I'm talking about your yeah. average film goer. Yeah, are we? <laughs> These cameras aren't on, right? Okay. <laughs> um, but like, I think that that that's amazing, and it's amazing that it, it didn't take just one of these things, but the weird combination that will never be replicated, no matter yeah. how hard they try. Of these two things, and they will never. try. Oh, they will try. Yes, oh, no. absolutely. And absolutely. Another thing too, with the strike happening, because you know studios are refusing to pay their actors and writers and yeah. such. Call um, it is. Dune. Yeah. Dune 2 would have been Oppenheimer's biggest competition at the Oscars, which is actually good news that Dune actually got delayed got until pushed. 2024. But here's the thing. I know how we could create a Barbenheimer event. Timothy Chalamet has a on, bunch the, of on this show. We're going to do it on this show. Great. <laughs> I have an idea. Listen. <laughs> okay. So Timothy Chalamet has like three movies coming out in like 2024. This kid's in why, everything. This kid. Why not release them all in May and call it Chalamet? Oh, that's pretty good. Mm hmm. Get me for marketing. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Christina is available for employment opportunities. He, he is. He is young. He is young Wonka, which is the, the movie that I feel like didn't need to get made. I will. Is that what they're calling movie. it? Young Wonka? I think it's something like that. Something like that. Is this spelled J-U-A-G? Wonka. Wonka. Yeah, yeah. It, might be, it might just oh. be Wonka. Young Wonka <laughs> would actually make me like it more if they call it. Young, young Wonka. Because it makes like, it sound like a rapper. Or or like uh, Young Sheldon, they're like whatever. Like oh, that. Sure. But the Oscar show. buzz for, you know, Oppenheimer puts it in a positive position considering Dune 2 was going to be delayed because that would have been his biggest competition because I don't really know how many when even if they're even going to do the Oscars I mean we don't you know writers I mean we don't right. it, pro it probably depends on how it all shakes out right yeah because there's like 10 nominations Oppenheimer could be up for and I'm like yeah I can see that Dune 2 um, doing your dad uh, <laughs> I'm I think I you know Oppenheimer's winning best picture I think it's pretty it's locked at this point it's pretty hard to see I haven't seen past lives yet I, I think it's I think it's going to be it, too niche. I, I think I think past lives one it came out too early and I, like past lives is incredible, but it came out too early in the year, and it's just I feel like it's the kind of movie that an Oscar voter would just kind of like have. It's the come on, come on of this year. It's going to yeah, be a fantastic exactly. film. People that are really into like that type of cinema are going to love it and talk about it for years and years, but it's not going to be in Best Picture. Yeah, you? I have zero. Uh, I, I remember, I think it was when I saw Bo is Afraid, um, the first trailer was Past Lives. And yeah, like, yeah this is definitely isn't for me. Like, this is not something that <laughs> is, is aimed at yeah. a movie that I want to go see it, you know. The... Yeah. Yeah. I think the one, the Bradley Cooper, where he's uh, the, oh, maestro. the conductor, Maestro. Yeah. Leonard Bernstein. I hope he doesn't win Best Actor because, like, he has no. to wear prosthetics. It's like it's it's yeah. such a well, like a cheap out, like a cop, like it's right. ridiculous. I I think he's I, like not, that, I, um, I think Killian I think Killian's gonna take that. I think he's it's he's not even gonna show up. I like that the backlash to Bernstein, the Bernstein prosthetics was just called like Jew face, 
which makes it sound way more like yeah it was trending for a while actually it makes it sound way more offensive than like they're like you know his nose is bigger oh, the, yeah because remember like, nicole kidman had to wear a fake doing, nose like, they're like he's doing jew face and it's like maybe don't call it that maybe <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that's pretty pretty offensive yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm glad there's by the way can i just say uh benny safty like first of all i didn't recognize that it was him at first because i just don't Same. i just don't recognize what those dudes look like even though i probably should but he did a really great job knowing that what that actual dude looks like he did a great yeah. job yeah i was more consumed with the guy from the boys who plays richard Feynman, who's i've established as one of my favorite physicists and one of my favorite historical figures of all time yeah. uh and yeah. i was like oh that's a guy from the boys awesome that's great Again, i was like Feynman. Yeah, definitely Leo meme, big time for all that. But I, I have no for the like seemingly hundreds of people in this movie, like they're all pretty, very, they're pretty well cast. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, I, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's like a weak performance. Like even in this most tiniest little part in Lawrence the whole Pugh, film. and Christopher Nolan was like, I wish I didn't give you a smaller role. I'm like, but it made an impact, whether you like it or not. But um, I think. Emily Blunt did a really good job playing, you know, his wife because also her and Killian starred in A Quiet Place Part Two, so they have, you know, the chemistry is yeah. already there, and they right. were more somewhat. I mean, somewhat, you know, they had their they had a lot of issues in the marriage because he was a womanizer, clearly. I yeah. mean, I don't, I don't think that's why they had a lot of issues in the marriage, but yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. she was also an alcoholic, of, but yeah, well. Kind of. I mean, after yeah. definitely after uh, she definitely was an alcoholic after Los Alamos. I don't know if yeah. she was necessarily an alcoholic during Los Alamos. It's almost like a cartoonish representation of alcoholism, though, because yeah. every time she's in the scene, she's like sneaking for the flask and she's like making yeah. a sip yeah. in the front. Like I don't know. Um, I I also didn't recognize that it was fucking Casey Affleck uh, playing. Ugh, the- oh, the really I'll, creepy. I'll, I'll, uh, I was like, oh. Yeah. I was like, God damn it. The first time I saw the movie, my theater, my theater had an audible like, oh my God, when Casey Mm -hmm. Affleck showed up. I don't know why. I mean, it was cool, but it was just like, like that was like a moment in the movie. My brain somehow didn't read, like he just, it feels like he embodied somebody completely different than his, like the representation of him in in cinema. Like my brain didn't register that that was Casey Affleck. He's just so fucking creepy in that role. And yeah. uh, he, he he's really great in that role. I, I don't know anything about like what the guy's up to personally or anything along those lines, but he was yeah. fantastic in that role. So, yeah. so the actual a fantastic uh, creep, the, the actual <laughs> uh, Boris Pash, like the, the guy that was the security. It, it, it could have been like a Ben Gazzara if it was in the 70s or something. Right. Oh, but, like, well, yeah. so the yeah. actual the, the actual Boris Pash. Right. Uh, he was one of the main witnesses during the church committee because he yeah. was like one of the people that was linked to the CIA's assassination program. So um, with uh, like Florence Pugh's character in in this, uh, there's a whole like level of conspiracy uh, with her family, too, that he actually murdered her, which is when you see the head going into the uh, thing. Gene Tatlock did not. Never mind. Yeah. Well, so and and there's like there's enough like there's there's evidence kind of that like the way that she doesn't like come out right and say it. But I mean, like if you. Like, it hits. I mean, yeah, I if you watch it. movies or like are aware of of any kind of storytelling narrative structure of any kind, it opens up enough questions that I think it's reasonable to assume that. Especially when Which, you're communist and it's you know the Red Scare. Yeah. And another thing too is like and Casey lot, Affleck is so freaking creepy. Yeah, and yeah. a lot because the main concept. <laughs> well, the real is guy he, was too. The real guy yeah, was yeah. ridiculously yeah. fucking creepy. He was going around telling uh you know both um Leslie Groves like the you know the Matt Damon character in this yeah. and the other security people that he wanted to bring uh certain people at los alamos onto a boat 
drown them on the boat and then throw their body into the water so nobody would ever find like Jesus he, he made Christ. threats towards like four or five different awesome. people at Los Alamos, including uh, you know, like the the one um guy Lamonowitz or whatever that was like the communist Lomowitz, that they yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That they, like including him. So like for him like and and drowning was like the thing that he was saying that he was going to do to them. He's like he was like I'm going to bring them on the boat and interrogate them in the Russian manner, which means like drown them and like throw their body at sea. So, oh, like, but you so for him communism. To, so it's like hmm. so it's like uh, for for Gene Tatlock to have you know drowned in the tub with with a full with a full amount of food in her stomach. Uh, like she ate a meal supposedly, and there was like they found that like there was a Mickey, like you know, like the date rape drug pretty much in her system and everything. So there's like that right. that kind of evidence. And it's like there was a guy that was like linked to the CIA's assassin like assassination program to the point where E. Howard Hunt came out at the church committee hearings and said, and said oh, that's, that it, that's the assassination guy. Like, oh, that's yeah. the guy we bring in to assassinate people. And he's like, I'm gonna drown some people, and then somebody drowns. Like, of course, yeah. there are questions raised. It's like, did did the did the assassination guy? do it like what <laughs> what fascinated me about this movie too is that you know it's all about him getting like his security you know clearance and whatnot and of course he doesn't you know get it but like a lot of the information about oppenheimer was already well known but of course during the red scare that shit gets rehashed and then it's now bad like that's one thing that drove me crazy about like these witch hunts from the right towards like left-leaning figures yeah well yeah, yeah. uh jagger hoover throughout world war ii was trying to discredit oppenheimer the entire time mm -hmm. um because and and they do a good job of this in the actual movie showing that like literally there was a guy going around at berkeley like taking license plates at whatever you know oh yeah that was very was, like a yeah. leftist yeah. or like a communist meeting that was happening there would be somebody going around taking license plates and then running the license plates so that's how they opened up this file in the first place and J. Edgar Hoover throughout World War II was trying to discredit Oppenheimer and not let him get a security clearance. Like, that was mm -hmm. a big part of, uh, you know, the, the story there. Which, which, as far as, like, a, a narrative hook for, like, basically the back third of the movie is, like, you wouldn't think it would be that thrilling. Yeah. It's like, it's like yo, this is like C-SPAN. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but like it really is. But obviously like, it's 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 deeply entertaining. And by the way, how great is it to see Robert Downey Jr. in a role where he actually gets to act too? Which cuz Yes. Uh, and when I saw it with Lindsay, she, like she was like keeping a couple him. scenes, she was like, "Wait, is that Robert Downey Jr.?" <laughs> <laughs> like she didn't recognize him. And and why would she? Because like he like just disappears into that role, right? Be, like literally becomes that guy. Yeah. Yeah, and it's he, he actually did really well. But, you know, it's so weird is that, like, I know he's probably going to get Oscar buzz for Best Supporting Actor, but I just feel like Matt Damon should also get some credit. Too, Damon is really good in this. And that is yeah. not a sentence I say super often. Yes. <laughs> Even well, Robbie Malik killed in this only two minutes in the film. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the, the Leslie Groves character. Like, he does a good job. I mean, Matt Damon's yeah. pretty likable, like, as an actor. And he does a yeah. good job, I think, kind of being an asshole. He, yeah. the, real guy, the real guy was a disruptive, like, a disruptive force within Los Alamos. Like, they had, because, yeah. and, and I wanted to talk about this uh, during the movie, too, because we talked about this a really long time ago with, like, uh, you know, um, Day of the Dead and, like, like the the clash between military and science and like, yeah 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 that comes like up often a real life movies. representation of of that right like military and science don't right. necessarily uh jive very well but in emergency situations they always have to work together and it, it's interesting that like the most destructive i mean the most disruptive possible force when you're trying to uh do something that no one's ever done before in this short amount of time is to have like a bumbling ass fucking like military guy like running around barking orders and telling everybody to keep things secret and yeah. like you know what I mean? Like there's, there's Could just so much like, 
Which is really how those special projects operate, too, though. Yeah. Like, it's sort of like they live and die based on if, like, the person that they have deemed to be, you know, like, more or less, like, a company man, uh, take that what you will, uh, that will lay down the law, right? And 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 becomes their responsibility if it goes sideways. Uh, yep. and, and that is a real thing that happens. And, yeah, but it is funny because you normally do see it in, like, yeah, your zombie apocalypse movies. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, this is a different kind of, I think, uh, you know, a pre- like proto-apocalypse situation. Like a real, I mean, a right, real life right, version right. of that. Uh, so this is, we talk a lot about um, CGI and practical effects. Mm-hmm. And I found... Sure uh, By yeah. the way, can I just say, saw the flash. My, the the, the oh. most odious thing about it, for me, is that video game special effects is what that oh, looked like. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, watching the movie right now, Max, and I'm like, why... How is Ezra Miller starring in this the second most odious thing? I I liked you know I liked the Flash a lot more than I thought I would, but it looked like Same. shit. No, it, it looks horrible. Like shit. It's some PlayStation Two video game cutscene stuff. Like what? PlayStation Two is generous. I would I would go PS One, PS One, Dreamcast. It's so like like how do they look at them? And be like, yep, looks good. What did what did uh, what did James Gunn say? Best superhero movie ever made. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my my question is because I'm not gonna watch this movie. Uh, how, where where does it rate on the Jumanji scale? The the, the special effects like oh the Jumanji monkeys man probably. Too. Uh, I think the Jumanji monkeys look better. The Jumanji monkeys might look better. I will say this, and I you know you know how I feel about mid and bad movies. I think it is worth watching for Michael Keaton, who is great in it. Yeah, yeah. but I, I would just don't put any watch, effort or time into it. I would yeah. just go watch any other movie with Michael Keaton in it. But he's, it sucks because he's especially good playing, reprising his Batman character as like a different kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not garbage. If it was, if the movie was just garbage, it'd be easier to dismiss. But holy crap, some of the worst CGI I have ever seen. And you know how much I like to rant about that because I just despise Mm -hmm. all of it. And how much, and basically that goes into us talking about practical effects and how we talk about that a lot in this show. Uh, And that's, I think, what this is about, right? Director with a long-held passion for practical effects, it was actually one of the rare occasions from his previous films where he embraced CGI methods that made it clear to him that Oppenheimer's cinematic centerpiece would have to be created without the use of computer graphics. At the end of Dark Knight Rises is a nuclear explosion, the point of which is very, very different from the explosion we knew we had to portray the real-life Trinity test. And so we used computer graphics to do the explosion in Dark Knight Rises, but it was <laughs> strange to say in that sequence, it was the release of tension. It was actually put further away and made to feel safe. But when I came to Oppenheim and I thought, okay, how do we portray the Trinity test? That first atomic device being detonated, that's not going to work. Computer graphics, extremely versatile and the detail that can be achieved and the variety of imagery that can be achieved is obviously unparalleled but they tend to feel a little anodyne a little safe it's very difficult to have computer graphics convey threat which is why they have to be used very carefully in horror movies for example it's, it's difficult to make cg uh threatening i first showed the script to andrew jackson my visual effects supervisor and said you know, I don't think that tool's going to work for us. So let's see if we can produce all of these effects using analog methods from the very first imaginings that Oppenheimer has of the quantum world of atoms, how they would be interacting, the strong force between waves, particles, you know, the duality of that. 
The scene set prior to the detonation in the vast New Mexico desert is one filled with tension. Each member of the cast is on top of their game, displaying a range of excitement, fear and dread. It's a breadth of emotion that needed to be carefully balanced by Nolan and reflected in the blast itself. So many of his previous stunts and set pieces were designed in order to thrill and entertain the audience, turning their world upside down like a semi-truck flipping in downtown Gotham. Oppenheimer called for a different type of effect, one more akin to a moment of tragedy from something like There Will Be Blood than the heroic action of Top Gun Maverick. It's meant to be a horrifying moment that leaves theaters solemnly quiet, as opposed to whooping with glee. It's useful that you use the word horrific in the same breath as entertainment which seems contradictory. And of course, it's a little uncomfortable talking about the word entertainment in regard to something so serious. And when we speak of entertainment in movies, we're not necessarily talking about fun and laughter and, and happy things. We're talking about engagement. We're talking about being riveted by a very tense and dramatic story and possibly appalled, possibly horrified. That's engagement and that, that is the stuff of entertainment. And so for me, everything about Oppenheimer's story was about engagement. Everything is about being in his head and using the IMAX format, which we've used for action in the past, we knew it would give us the vast desert, the weather coming in, storms, the Trinity test itself, with its beauty and horror in sort of equal measure. That contradictory impulse, and it's there in the story structure as well, the build to the Trinity test and then what comes after. This is a film about consequences and we want it to be unsettling. Absolutely. I mean, we talked about, um, well, first of all, one of my favorite memes is like, Nolan used a lot of practical effects. It's like, wait, atomic bomb? Like, it had like the. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> US government's got to figure out what the hell going on. That cracked me up. But I, I but again, yeah, I, I feel like it comes up in this show so often just because so much, so many non practical effects are just weightless garbage, right? And, and like, I never felt that. I've seen this, saw this twice, both times 70 millimeter. One was at the at the Universal City Walk, which was like apparently where no one premiered it, uh, mm -hmm. which, you know, no big deal. But like, that's a big yeah, deal. it's a pretty big deal. Like, it, I mean, it looks astounding, right? It looks astounding not just on a regular screen, but like on like the gigantic seventy millimeter IMAX screen. Yeah, only films in that. It, it's pretty remarkable. Zach, you have any thoughts on uh, on the practical effects of Oppenheimer? You're on muted too, by the way. I, I don't think I can unmute you. Can I? No. No, I muted myself again. It's just the it's, a, it's the Canadian. You're just Canadian. too polite. Uh, yeah. No, the practical effects are, are fucking phenomenal. Um, like even even just the little visual interludes. Like I and I get that those you know those things are technically easy to achieve. Like he's just, you know he's like he's like filming like spectrometers or something like like just instruments. But like all that stuff is is gorgeous. The stuff inside his head yeah. and then like the the atomic test which i my i haven't looked into it my guess is they set off like a medium-sized explosion and kind of composited it to look like you know little boy big like boy a nuke, like like a nuke. yeah but like yeah, it's, it's, i have i have a clip where he's talking about it uh oh cool after awesome. this but um i wanted to play the actual trinity test footage uh oh what it actually looks like good well, okay, oh my God, we're good we're good we, we need sudden uh, sunscreen and glasses for this one. <laughs> yeah, this is, no, because it's, and it's, I love how I love. Can I can I say one nice moment about that scene? 
is when Feynman like just like oh I'm behind the windshield of the car like that'll stop it yeah and like because yeah. because that's a thing no that's a thing he actually talks about in his book on his time working in the Manhattan Project so that was like a I swear I, I, it's like Nolan put that in for me specifically yeah. I, I swear because like I was like oh yeah oh my god it was blah, blah, blah. well it's in uh, <laughs> they reference it in American Prometheus too. I'm sure, but like he like he does like a chapter on it. And like of course, it, Heller's like, I need some some block. In and and surely you're joking, Mr. Feynman. Which is I love, uh, I love how Teller had like specially like a slob well, of like welded together <laughs> SPF uh, one thousand. Yeah, he was prepared. Yeah, yeah. But it's like imagine seeing the actual. I mean, like he does a really good job with it in the in you know like especially like this part right like the like there's so much of this uh you know this actual like explosion in it right like um like recreating yeah. it i mean like but imagine seeing this though and like this is the, the the culmination of like two years of your work is this uh like it's, explosion that but it's is like insane to the point that no one's ever seen anything like this before right like it's it's yeah. an explosion I, bigger than anything that's uh come around like it's so much more than even like tons of dynamite correct me if i'm wrong but the bombing happens in like an hour and 54 minutes in, I believe. Oh, two uh, hours, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's oh, roughly I, the two-hour mark. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. My favorite it's, part when it was quiet, and I was like, okay, cool. We're hearing killing breathing. And I'm like, what? Yeah. It's so jarring, right? It's so jarring. Like, Whoa. I wasn't prepared for that. Also, yeah. can we just talk, like, all the, like, when they're testing, like, the implosion device, the fucking sound delays on all of the explosions for like yeah. how long it would actually take for the wave to hit. That shit was just fucking delicious to me. Yeah. Because movies don't do that. Like never even the most like accurate, like like you know, you watch like Saving Private Ryan, every explosion, Happens the boom hits that. you as soon as as soon as you see yeah. it. Which right? is not at all. It's how not it how it's done. Yeah. 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 And uh it's I mean, there's so much to love in this film about that kind of thing where it's just accurate representations of physics not the least of which is the fact that it is completely divorced from math people like yeah. that's what, what people that oh i'm not a math person great many of the best physicists aren't either yeah well, oppenheimer, <laughs> specifically. oppenheimer specifically not a math not a guy, math guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and he like even basic math was not like not when i say basic i mean like you know for science like like a more complex yeah. algebra like stuff that's not basic for me like basic for me is still like you know but like in he, in, in the surely you're joking mr Feynman book richard Feynman says that uh physics is to math what fucking is to dry humping <laughs> and that's one of many reasons why I love Richard Feynman. <laughs> he was a, he was blunt. We love that. Uh, but like, but yeah, like I, I, there's just you never see that represented in films ever, let alone in a big blockbuster film where it's like it's yeah. actual physics like representation. Accurate. Well, they yeah. have physicists on you know the set to like really make sure it, like everything was accurate, like even right. from like the uh, the the formulas on the chalkboard because there's gonna be some geeks that are like well but we did uh, one thing they got wrong was the american flags oh yeah because they have 50 stars don't they yeah and we oh, supposed to be quiet. Yeah. hawaii wasn't uh, christopher was probably like what? it's gonna go back and eliminate all the the, the, the cuts and the <laughs> just yeah hawaii, hawaii and alaska weren't uh at that point um but 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 that said, like I think it's it's astounding that to to see, and it, that goes back to our conversation Interstellar too, right? Like how like how meticulous he was about um, showing time dilation and, and things along those lines, and like you know little things like 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 the clicks, meaning like you know certain increments of time and, and so on and so on. Like it's that's his deal. That's his whole deal. Which I I don't know how much this um, 
played into why Christopher Nolan decided to do this project. But um, when <laughs> in, in American Prometheus, they're writing about like all the things that so Oppenheimer was kind of like a frantic person far before this, right? Like, yeah, like he was just kind of throwing yeah. stuff together. And at Berkeley, one of the papers that he wrote was the paper that actually uh, theorized in the first place that like uh, wormholes existed, right? Like he did like the basic calculation, which is which is right? real, and the timing of it, which was we'll go ahead and say ill-timed, yeah. <laughs> was so, also so real. The book, so the, so the book uh, cites Kip Thorne, who wrote Interstellar with him, uh, saying like, oh well, you know, Oppenheimer actually like single-handedly threw this thing that he didn't finish to the completion, right? Like he didn't do yeah. any experiment to show anything. He didn't have really the ability in his mind to like stick with any one theory for very long but that founding paper actually like uh did a lot for the the actual like you know astrophysics that kip thorne and and you know would end up uh kind of being arguably the there was barely yeah. astrophysics before it for sure yeah. and, and, and like considering that you had to be like really into gravimetric math to like give a damn about that before which most people just charitably say we're not uh yeah like it's I, Again, if, if it had been timed, like if you want to talk about sliding door scenario, which for some reason is my go-to like parallel dimension movie still after all these years. <laughs> and I am talking about the uh, Gwyneth Paltrow vehicle. Uh, if, if you talk about that kind of scenario, like if that had published like a little bit earlier, a little bit later, like the entire like course of uh, Earth history might have been different. Yeah. Well, so yeah. but my so my version of Leonardo DiCaprio meme though was uh that that book citing um Kip Thorne right after we had done the Interstellar episode and I was like oh I know like, that I know is. that guy from Interstellar yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Manhattan Project was one of great secrecy at the height of World War II. It's surprising then that so much archival footage of the event exists. This was a luxury that Nolan happily took advantage of, poring over the films to grasp an accurate sense of what Los Alamos looked like at its bustling peak. Being true to life is one thing however, and something Nolan values highly, but that also needs to be balanced with making sure it's still a cinematic spectacle to behold. It's a tricky balance with something as, as well documented as the Trinity test and you know it was I mean for I mean, it's very inside baseball as they say but for filmmakers to look at the cameras that develop, they developed the way they shot those tests I mean, really remarkable brilliant stuff you know shooting at frame rates far beyond what we can do now all kinds of incredible technology but archival footage is inherently distancing we needed to be in the texture of the film with all of the imagery we created so it was incumbent on us to be guided by and not contradict the documented reality, but to be expressive of it in in our own way. I mean, I think it's a she it was fortunate for us that the bulk of the documentation of Trinity Test is in black and white. So at the very least, by bringing color to it, we're, we're being forced to sort of make it our own. And a lot of what we did in both the shooting and then in particular in the editing of the sequence is really based on the first-hand accounts. It's, it's more about what people said about it than what the photographs or the film said. One thing that couldn't be legitimately reproduced was obviously the atomic blast itself. Multiple techniques were experimented with by Nolan's special effects team led by Scott Fisher and Andrew Jackson to recreate the sparking flashes and fiery flurries of the explosion. 
Ping pong balls were smashed together, paint was hurled across walls, and luminous magnesium solutions were developed. By filming these events super close up of variable frame rates, they combined with director of photography Hoyt Van Hoytema's sweeping IMAX cinematography to create in-camera effects that filled the screen with a power that such a monumental event demands. Some of what we were shooting was main unit, some of it was being shot with Andrew Jackson on visual effects unit, and so we were seeing it in pieces. And I do remember one particular set of dailies that we watched that these guys had shot that really captured a feeling of immensity. Scott Fisher's work on the special effects, combining some magnesium flares with gasoline and black powder explosions and things. I mean, there were some extraordinary things to look at just to eye. But watching the dailies, you were seeing it develop and it might with my editing brain on, and then with Jen Lane, the editor in the edit suite, you just start visualizing combinations and experimenting with combinations of imagery to give the, the feeling of what this must have, have felt like to watch this. What that gave me in the edit suite was this thread, this connecting set of analog techniques that confuse scale from the particle world of, of quantum mechanics to the, the vast you know, universe, astrophysics, etc., and all points in between. We try and grow that thread to its ultimate release, this kind of vibrating energy that follows through the whole film to its ultimate release in this incredibly destructive event. And so some of what they did was absolutely tiny, or even beyond that, sort of microscopic. And some of it was absolutely vast and required intense concentration on set. You know, we were out there in the desert of New Mexico, just like the scientists at the Manhattan Project. We built the bunkers, we built the tower, we were out there at night preparing for these very large-scale explosive events have to be conducted safely with great care so there's a tension there's a there's an anticipation in what we're doing as filmmakers that i think helps the actors helps everybody gain some small understanding of what must have been like to be there that that night that early morning at the trinity test the end results are there for all to see. The moment the Trinity test explosion lights up the screen is a stunning example of practical effects work. A worthy rendering of one of history's most pivotal events, the scene never once forgets to take its eyes off the people responsible for it, with Killian Murphy's face one that mirrors most who will watch it, one of awe in the very literal definition of the word. There was a definite feeling of, okay, what we're seeing is both beautiful and dangerous in equal measure, and that's what we'd ask for. So we always knew that the sequence would be a collage rather than one iconic shot. If there is an iconic shot, I think it's the profile of Oppenheimer seeing it. And, and that was always the intention. And I think part of the unsettling quality of the film is due to, you do feel engaged. You do feel you understand Oppenheimer. You're kind of on that journey with him. You're not judging him. And so when you're then made to, to feel differently about things or question things you've already seen, it is a little uncomfortable, it's a little unsettling, and I'm hoping that the film leaves people with a sort of, you know, a, an uneasy feeling. No one, <laughs> by the way, rotary flip phone, just got to throw that out there. Yeah. That, that, that's what no one definitely has, a rotary flip phone. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I, you know, meticulous. Is, this dude is pretty, meticulous. And this Chris mm -hmm. Nolan. It's pretty funny. Right? To be like, I wanted everyone to, to feel to feel like this film was uh, unsettling, and it's like, no, it is. No, you, you yeah, did a good yeah, job of that. Like, <laughs> I don't really want to remember that fucking atom bombs existed or exist, and yeah, that we have that's why a, we're all like <laughs> this after the movie. <laughs> well, and so one of the critiques 
of the film is that it doesn't show the devastation of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It doesn't show like the, the human cost. It's called Oppenheimer. Yeah, my, my response is just why why would it? There's plenty of documentaries and films that show the damage and from the perspective of those who were impacted by the bombs. Also, just American Prometheus doesn't. Yeah. It's not really a thing that comes. It's like, not the focus no, of the story. Yeah. And, be- yeah. and people want, it's like, well, okay, so first of all, you can bitch about it being three hours long or you can bitch yeah. about it not including everything, one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> and second, yeah. do, do you want so to be we'll start hours? with that? Let's go. And, and honestly, for my taste, it would undercut the story because it, yeah. it, would, it would make the story about something different. And again, you need to realize we have never seen physics representation on a big screen like this maybe ever but certainly not since like i don't know 2001 maybe like like you just don't see these kinds of scientific principles put forward as a narrative function in large mainstream movies which this is and so like to cram in like everybody wants their like pet pet thing of it's it's like when it's like when Obama gave the speech and he shouted out non-believers and everyone's well he didn't say brights I'm like because nobody would ever say bright like why yeah. would you think that would be a thing he would say? Like he acknowledged well, non-believers. And and I think the the line that really gets to the core of it, which is like a real, you know, like was hit hard uh, multiple times in American Prometheus, the like the book. But um, the the line that's like he it makes it into the movie, uh, and he, yeah. he has um, you know, he, like like it, it's very much uh, said is the you know I don't want three hundred plus years of uh, like the result of all like centuries of physics to be this one atom bomb like a devastating weapon and, we, and i really and, set stevie up for that one obama and yeah. that's, that's no but like <laughs> so that that really gets to the crux of you know the, the regret that he um instantly right. yeah and it being a mechanism and tool for war where, whereas really it was it was like no they were just trying to they were they're doing the thing you do in science right you were chasing down you're finding out the whys and wherefores, and you're chasing it down. And of course, it's going to get co-opted into weaponry. Of course, it yeah. is. That's what always happens. But like to have that be the only thing that someone's known for, or that the Manhattan Project's known for, or you know, so on and so on. Like, yeah, it, and it's the, and the book lists that's out the tragedy. These other uh, the book lists out all of these different uh, things, you know, as a theoretical physicist that he contributed to, right? Like uh, huge he, things, huge yeah. things that we take for granted these days. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing, and. So it's like it's kind of kind of fascinating that like at the end of it, um, his inst like instantaneously, right? Like the regret that he feels is like, oh shit! Like no, the the thing that physics is going to be co opted into from now on, like uh, with the Cold War, with you know the the thing that everybody, including uh, Neil Bohr, like the the you know the, the physicist that um, was his kind of mentor uh, that they smuggled out of um, you know out, out of fucking Denmark, yeah. Um, yeah, who co- made the Bohr model of the atom, which is I have too many layers on but that's my carbon atom tattoo is a bore model <laughs> so uh and and you know there's like the like thank you also does a good job uh with uh the the fight between uh Bohr and and einstein where einstein instantly re- like his first regret was that he even like conceptualized quantum quantum physics and quantum mechanics because he yeah. was like oh i don't think that's real and then so from from that moment on after the theory of relativity 
he and uh, Bohr got into these huge debates and Einstein was like, yeah, I regret even coming up with those scientific principles. And then, of course, Einstein was the first person to sign the letter to Franklin Roosevelt that said, hey, like Germany might be working on an atom bomb and we should probably be working on our own project just so the Nazis don't you know, wipe out all of humanity. And that instant regret, too. It's like layers and layers and layers on top of each other um, that this movie kind of handles in a really amazing way with that one line. Uh, you know, I don't want the culmination of 300 years of physics to be a, a massive weapon. And, and, and it kind of is like and, it, it, because of because of the fact that for the first time you can wipe out all of humanity with these weapons in a very short amount of time. That's why. Right. Like it's it's a yeah. it's, you know, not to use this as a pun, but like a quantum shift in the way that uh, war works. Like even even when you look at something like Napoleon, right, like Napoleon going across Europe, it's still there's a lot of different points where you could stop somebody like that from getting all the way across Europe and defeat him in, in all of these different places. As soon as you develop like an atom bomb and you could drop it on a city and just keep dropping them on various cities and wipe out the entire human race at some point, like that, like stopping somebody like that becomes something that's a lot fucking harder. Yeah. And we, and one of my favorite scenes is when after the bombs are announced that they, they got dropped and, he goes and does a speech and he seems a little nervous and he's like, you know, he's starting to actually, they show little instances of people burning. Like he's imagining like, you know, the destruction he's caused and the shaking, I think Kelly Murphy explained like the shaking in the background, they use like a projector and they just like, like they shook it. Like they, you know, like yeah. they reversed the image or something like that. And that's where it's like all the close-ups and the people were, you know, stopping their feet on the bleachers. I think that's like probably like my favorite scene in the whole movie because he's starting to realize it's pretty oh, harrowing, frankly. Yeah. 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 That's the real the the quotes in that speech are is the real speech he gave where he's like, I bet World. the Japanese didn't like it. And then everybody's cheering and he's like, I wish we dropped it on the Germans. And yeah. uh, you know, yeah. like the there's a lot of in, in it's American, the locker up of, of that era. Yeah. Well, well the American, the American Prometheus. Uh, they, they talk about how, you know, like Oppenheimer's not a general, right? Like he's a scientist. He's not someone who like can really rally up a crowd like that. And it's like he was almost yeah. like playing a role, which is something that they hit on over and over again in this book. Like he's playing the role of an administrator after being a theoretical right. physicist or he's playing the role of like an establishment Democratic figure uh, talking to Truman and kind of trying to ingratiate himself Get that with, baby the, out of here. with the political like with the political system itself. Right. Uh, the, yeah. So the Truman thing is really funny because I feel like Gary Oldman was. A well, hold on, Zach. Zach, what were we, what were we yeah. gonna jump in on? Your well, just to, in regards to like his, you know, the note about like his speech and his speech in that room being like actual quotes. Like this movie is the ultimate testament to that. You know, no dramatic writing can live up to yeah. reality. Like the amount of the the fucking percentage of this screenplay that is actual quotes and and taken word for word from transcripts, including like the that, hearings. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, one of the most, it's one of the yeah. most incredible screenplays of all time, and most of it is just shit that people actually, the people in the movie actually said in real life. Yeah. And How many pages is it? Do you know? How many pages the screenplay is? I don't have the screenplay. I do want to get it. I would assume. I would. I would totally read pages. Roughly over hundred yeah. pages. I, I would not. I don't say this often. I would absolutely read the screenplay because I yeah. think that like it's so. It's so meticulously shot like all of no one's stuff right? yeah. but like this, this is and 150 pages i was right wow. Over so he got he got so his script reads 30 minutes faster than yeah that's plays out. 
It's also written completely in the first person as if it's Oppenheimer, yeah. uh, like rather than, hmm. which is kind of, I, I think he did it so he could later on. It's better like, than uh, second person. Second person is weird as hell. It makes you feel like you're yeah. a video game. <laughs> I thought but it was like it was, every, every was... action, because he wrote out the actions even that, you know, that he expected like each actor to take, but it's written as like, I walk across the room. Oh, yeah. she says this to me. Like it's written in a, in a kind of funny way. It's written like almost yeah. like a novel. Is it, is it all written about... like that or are the, are the Strauss parts written no, it's all written in, in the first person as if it's Oppenheimer. Um, yeah. I think he just did that to flex, though, because Christopher Nolan just at this point has written so many like incredible screenplays that I feel like in some ways he's just like, oh, I wrote it in the first person, of course. Like Everybody that read it was like, I've never re like read anything like this. Like This is a screenplay entirely written as if it's like Oppenheimer telling the story, I, which is I not like, how the movie goes. I like the idea of David Bowie being like the main inspiration for Oppenheimer's look. That's yeah. actually how, like, because if he was wearing like that. a military jacket, and they're like, "The fuck are you doing, Oppie? You don't. This is not you." And Christopher <laughs> Nolan said that him putting on the hat and the pipe and the suit was very reminiscent. He has of a suit up Batman. scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Batman scene. Yeah. There's also. I love. All also you like need that. is the score, and like, like if you were to rescore that scene with the back. Yes. I also like that, and this is in real life too, right? Like they really did. Like uh, Isidore Robbie really was like. It's not like this isn't you like you're not a military guy yeah, yeah everybody yeah. had to enlist in the army but i also liked that like he's like you know what you're right and the first thing he does is put on the pork pie hat yeah because yeah. he's running around with the uniform on which does you're like why is he wearing a uniform that's kind of yeah. weird like it's sort of... trying to be patriotic yeah yeah and, and like it makes sense and but then like yeah he gets called out like on Mr. it Rogers. By, uh, uh what's that guy's that guy's great the, the guy that uh, was like quit with the uniform whatever he says like, well that's, the guy's in real life is isidore robbie and he, he yeah um, in real life but the, the i can't remember david yeah, that yeah. guy's good. He's, he's I, by the way, he's been in so much stuff. I tweeted out like a David Crumholtz appreciation point. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I tweeted yeah. out an appreciation post. And an account liked it that's like David Crumholtz Twitter. And it, I, like, I don't think it really, I don't know if it really is him, but the video seems like a cameo or something. And he's like, this is really my Twitter. David Crumholtz here or something. Wait, what? I can't tell if it's and I can't tell if it's really the guy. Like, he's only I, has, like, I don't followers. think he's on any. I don't think he's on any social media. But, I, but I it's, it's, it's not AI. It. It's literally him saying like maybe somebody paid him on. Maybe Cameo. it's like his yeah. his like yeah. Who knows? It's or the same it's as like, like you see ads for like mobile games that are they the fucking Cameo logo is in the ad and it's like Snoop Dogg right. saying you should play the game. So I think yeah. it's the same kind of thing. I mean, I didn't hey, expect there to be a Brendan Fraser hive but there was on our airheads episode oh really wow. i definitely i definitely i didn't know that but i definitely would have expected that like brendan fraser has a fan club people like yeah. brendan fraser he's like uh... i do too i just <laughs> don't commit my online life to talking about it but it's okay, up, it's okay. uh <laughs> gen z girls are are feral right now on tiktok i'm just gonna say that <laughs> wait like so conan so uh, just they're always yeah they always aren't <laughs> yeah, especially now. They run away. But, uh, but Conan, I wanted to, I wanted to bring up the music. Um, oh, the music in this is is so killer. And and yes, please, because one of the best things about the soundtrack, uh, first of all, great. So th thankfully, it isn't all zimmered out, right? Yeah. So but, I, I was gonna say, second of all, he stopped working with Hans Zimmer. <laughs> right. I know. I was so, <laughs> I was so ready to be like, all right, I'm gonna like this in spite of Hans Zimmer hacking it up. But uh, the spaces. Like the absence, like it, it's such a good use of subtraction uh, as addition in composition. Yeah. Like it's so, like it, it's it's um it's honestly, if if I don't 
I don't know if they teach this kind of thing in like music composition courses or anything, but like you could teach that as far as like how can you have like a, a bigger impact than something like this where there's a big 70 millimeter huge frame shot and you want to like have it. Well, you don't intensify. You don't pull a, a quiet place on it, which should have been quieter, frankly. That score is way too busy. Uh, <laughs> you you take it down. And it's this is it's just mm. It's like shellac level, like uh, minimalism. It's great. I love it. Well, so he's he's been working with uh, Ludwig Göransson, who's like I, that I guy's know, good. I, yeah, yeah. Well, so I know him uh, not in real life, but like I know his music because he did the first three uh, Childish Gambino albums. He did Camp, he did Because the Internet, and he did um, Awaken My Love, the one with yeah. uh, with uh, like Redbone. He did. Uh, he worked. He did Tenet too. Yeah. And uh, he did the first two Creed movies, if I remember correctly. He also did the, uh, the the music for Community, which is how he ended up. Oh, hell yeah, with, uh, that's awesome. Donald Glover in the first place, but um, but yeah. So did he also do He's done. Did, he's, did he really? Oh, wow. I think he did. A, I think I thought it was he and Zimmer because like Vangelis couldn't do it or something like that. There's there's a long list of movies that he's done at this point, but it's funny that like uh the the first like few times I've I've heard his like name at all, it's like fucking childish Gambino shouting him out on uh various right, right. <laughs> various albums, including when he did a uh, bonfire and he's like asked Ludwig just like a random thing, and I was like, who the fuck is Ludwig? The first time I heard that, and I'm like, oh, it's this guy. <laughs> Read anything like it when you you're really in his world. You're like it's it's written as a first person, so so everything is you're kind of breathing, you're seeing everything from his point of view, and that was what I realized pretty early on that that was that's what the score needed to do. You needed the audience, you needed to help the audience feel what he's feeling instead of judging him from what he's done, and. He's such an interesting, complex, you know, character. You know, he, there, there's a lot going on inside, and that was the challenge. Like, how do we, how do we fill that whole spectrum of music, and how do we make it, at times, you know, like, you know, you see, you're also seeing his inner dreams and visions that he has, and you know, of Adam spinning around. You know, you can see this if you see it in a theater, like you see it on a big screen. These visuals that that you never experienced before, and and that was extremely inspired for me. And that's what I wanted the music to sound like. Another thing that I found was really interesting about the music is that it's very much a film dealing very much with science, with mathematics, with machinery, with war. I mean, mm -hmm. all these things that you'd ordinarily describe as pretty cold and heartless. And yet, mm -hmm. to me, it was very much a very warm, very organic score mm -hmm. as well. Of course, there is a lot of electronic elements to it, but there's also very much the use of the orchestra, especially with the violin. Yeah. The, the, the music to start from. He was his first idea was like, what what I want to explore where we can bring the sound of the violin. Especially, uh, he wanted that to portray Oppenheimer because you know it's a fretless instrument, and depending on the performance of the violin, you can go from you know a very very soft romantic tone to if you increase the vibrato or just the pitch a little bit, yep. you can go into like an erotic manic state. <laughs> And then you can add four players, you can add eight players, you can add a whole orchestra on top of it. So you, you can really have like those peaks of dynamics. You know, sometimes the movie is extremely intimate. You see it just close up of his face, you know, and sometimes it goes bigger than biggest, you know. And, and, and I think those dynamics changes and shifts in, in music and movies, you know, it's, it's very refreshing <laughs> to see. Um, and to be able to work in that was, was, a, was a real pleasure. Who can forget the score in tetanus? Yeah. Uh, no, no, but like, 
That score gave me lockjaw. Yeah. I fucking love that score. Score is great. Uh, And I listen to it when I want to feel manic and uh, have the urge to clean. It doesn't fall victim to Zimmerisms, too, which. Yeah. We all well, I actually that. that's the thing because, like, I'm a big Zimmer fan, mm-hmm. but I and but Kick I right off the show. I've, been, I've been saying this. I've been saying this for like since inception. Well, no, not well since like I knew about Gore. I think Gorenson does what's known as the Zimmer sound. Yeah. Better than Zimmer. Yes, because Zimmer's at this point score, he's phones it in. Yeah. Zimmer's best scores are the ones that are not like his Nolan movies, like Correct. the Dune score or Rain Man or even fucking No Time to Die, which has some of the, like the Batman stuff in it, like. Mm-hmm. Well, his his real innovations come from his staff anyway, too. Like at this point, like he's mostly like you know, and and the fact that I I like that there's a turnaround that's kind of allowing new people into the field or new new people into the field because yeah, like it's just like you don't have to get the exact same people. Like I think Trent Reznor was invoked in the comments. I like Reznor scores a lot, you know, but they're they're great. But it's also like, yeah, do you remember a time when it was just like everything Reznor was doing is all Danny Elfman? Those yeah. are great as well, but it's great to allow new people in. Like that, you can have yeah. more than like two guys. Yeah, <laughs> and, and his his score here is great, but his score here again, it, it's very thoughtful. The use of um, and that goes back to uh, uh, you know, like whatever, um, like old plays and stuff of like basically having uh, an instrument represent uh, a character on the screen. But again, it's the subtraction here that makes this artful. Because I this is though, so over the top. The old the old days of just like having like an eco Peter and the Wolf. I was trying to think of that's, that's but the old days of having like an eco Morricone do everything and just like have like oh, yeah. uh like so many fucking files like not files but like you know what I mean like so many just sounds saved that he could just like give away fucking uh full albums for like somebody like yeah. John Carpenter like yeah that that, was, that that's classic. I feel like they're getting back with that now with a uh, Ludwig Göransson as like a person. Well, and the uh, um there's. A few other people that um, are along those same lines that have that level of talent, but like it, for whatever reason, there's just like real conservative mindset towards scoring and music, it, it, especially in blockbuster films that just makes everything kind of sound uniform and lame. Frankly, to yeah. me, like when it's not when it's not needle drops, which is a whole not, like a which whole is a whole yeah, yeah. Don't get me started on that. And like I've been a beneficiary of that. I've been you know annoyed by that because for every uh, um, Edgar Wright, you know, there's like a lot of people were mad about the Super Mario Brothers movie needle drops. I'm like, I don't I don't see how you can get upset about the Super Mario Brothers movie. It's like it's like it's like getting upset at like uh, cotton candy. I mean, you like, what did, you, like what did you think you were getting? Do you think watching a Casavetti's film? It's the Super Mario sake. Brothers. You, you oh throw gosh. something like fucking Soderbergh, like the uh, <laughs> the fucking you know, yeah. you just have have your headphones on and you just like bump into whatever it is because you're like a half deaf autistic uh, driver. <laughs> <laughs> Movie I'm writing has a hell of a needle drop in it. I'm not going to say what it is, but it has it has a great needle drop. I'm all well, I'm all for him. Hire me to put needle drops in your movies because I'm fucking great at them. The needle, like, the needle drop is actually story important too, so that's why it's and that's even better. And that's that's yeah. one of the reasons why I know baby driver baby driver is fraught because of multiple sex pest uh, reports of uh, several of its leads. <laughs> but uh, you know, definitely like a masterclass in usage of music in a very different way. Yeah. But the idea is like there's lesser composers would have just done the more is more thing. And that yeah. wouldn't have worked for this movie because it's so like again we just talked about possession, which is definitely a more is more kind of movie. 
<laughs> like yeah. in a certain way. But can you imagine if it had a really obnoxious, like overbearing score, like during all of it? No, it wouldn't have worked. Like it, the only thing that would work is is you, you got to like it's got to be a tool to accentuate what's happening. And sometimes that means pulling it down, leaving those like just like just crazy silences, like right before you just get the. And it's like, oh yeah, that's okay. That is definitely an atomic bomb that just exploded. Cool. Yeah. That's so why I, I like to be in the breathing first. I, I think this is <laughs> after Christina gets her breathing. Yes, this is kind of cool. So uh, Wired had an actual like atomic expert break down some of like the the actual like building of the bomb in this movie. Oh, and, I've seen like, this and like the science behind it. I think I sent it in the chat last night too. But uh, I thought I saw on TikTok. A couple, a couple minutes. <laughs> She's too busy on TikTok to see what's in the chat. Bomb talk. You know what I mean? The, the yeah. bomb talk talk. Yeah. <laughs> so plutonium is solid metal. Imagine you had a piece of steel and I said, push it on all sides to make it smaller. You need to shrink it by half its size exactly symmetrically. Each of these are the detonators. When they all go off, they're going to start a shockwave through this device. It's going to start going in, in, in. Inside that little sphere of plutonium is an even tinier sphere of polonium and beryllium. This thing, if you compress it, will shoot out some neutrons. That's meant to just start the reaction. You push the whole thing together and make an atomic bomb explode. This is called implosion. One of the things we see in the movie is the final assembly of the gadget. This is based on actual footage that was taken at the time. Even the lighting looks like in the historic footage that we have. This is a 100-foot tower. They've brought the explosive sphere out to the test site by the tower, and they put a big tent around it. You need this thing to be as controlled as possible. If you got a pebble in there, it could deform the shockwave by just enough to make the whole thing either not work or not work very well. So they want this to be a very pristine sort of environment, which is hard to do when you're in the middle of the desert. They're putting in in this scene what's called the tamper plug. The goal is to have this sit right around the plutonium core in the middle of the bomb. This is a delicate operation. This tamper plug arguably is worth $400 million in 1945 money. They don't want to mess this up because once you put the plutonium in there, every little step of getting it closer to being a bomb makes it a little bit more dangerous to be around and radioactively you know, problematic. This core is like on the edge of being explosive. It's also radioactive. It's also hot. Plutonium in that quantity is so radioactive that it's about 80 degrees Fahrenheit. They're dropping it through the center of the bomb. They've made a sort of trap door basically into the bomb so that the lens on top can come out. You can drop this thing in. In real life, they went to put it in and it didn't fit. Oh my God, have we, have we totally messed this up? Wait a minute, wait a minute. It had to be the right temperature for it to fit. The outer part was cooler than the inner part was. And so they had to wait for them to reach the same temperature and then it just slid into place. So there had to be one person left in the tower to set it all up at the very end, stay with the bomb, do the final connections, and then head back. And this was, of course, a very stressful job. They had previous mock-ups that were set off by lightning in the distance. So they were in a very precarious state here. There's a scene before the actual Trinity test where General Groves is asking Oppenheimer about the possibility of this test destroying the world. There's a chance that when we push that button, 
we destroy the world. One of the real concerns was this problem of what they called atmospheric ignition. What if the nitrogen and oxygen in the atmosphere fuse together and release energy? Could they release enough energy that that would trigger more nuclear fusion that then goes over the entire globe and leaves it a burnt horrible cinder. Turns out that kind of equation is really hard to do. But let's imagine that it's like a hundred times easier than we think it is. We can sort of make very conservative extrapolations and we find it's it's probably not going to happen. Chances are near zero. Near zero. What do you want for theory alone? Oppenheimer is giving the correct scientist answer. They basically concluded it would be less than one in three million, something like that. In the 1970s, weapon scientists redid those calculations. Could you set the earth on fire if you wanted to? Yes, but you need bombs that would be hundreds of thousands of times more explosive than any bombs we ever made, and you'd need to have much higher proportion of the ocean be made out of a rare isotope called deuterium, a different type of hydrogen. If you had this, you could indeed turn the Earth into a sun. The detonation took place very late at night. They wanted to see exactly how bright it was. And it's gonna be harder to see that in the daytime when you're competing with the actual sun. They actually had recommended that the bombs be dropped on Japan at night because they would be more psychologically stunning. But for logistical reasons, they were dropped in the morning on both of the cities. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was taking a drink at the end of that clip. I can't, I can't <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, number one, it's kind of terrifying that, like, they did take that gamble, and it's like, uh, you know, like, there's a chance that, like, the entire, you know, uh, Earth could ignite. Yeah, like, how much of a chance? Well, not zero, Yeah, <laughs> which is what you want that to be. Um, you know? I, I also think it's but that, But that's a great, that's yeah. a great depiction of science versus, like, pragmatic yeah. government military well, so so what thinking. i so what i'm saying is uh or what i was about to say is like there's an there's a big difference between being a theoretical physicist and being a scientific administrator which it turns out what Oppenheimer did really well i mean he was a good you know theoretical physicist but like what he did really well in this case was he was able to transform himself very quickly into a scientific administrator which more than anything else a lot of it is deciding which uh especially kind on of a time frame like this like which things that you actually wanted you know that you actually can put your time people and resources into right so like right. a lot of the stuff is like um you know, they didn't know how to trigger an implosion. And there was a whole bunch Because there was no mechanism to do so. Yeah. Literally, they had to invent it. But in that same way, he could he was brilliant as a theoretical physicist, but many theoretical physicists have no practicality to them, meaning they yeah. could not do the administrative part of it. So what he's remembered is, like, largely the administrative part of it. And it's, and, and, and like, look, as someone that's very good at the, the business side of being in a band, <laughs> hard relatable. Because I know plenty of people that are incredibly gifted as musicians and composers, and they just have not, not practically minded at all, at all. And what happens a lot of times, if you're practically minded, then that's all you get remembered for. It's like, well, no, it doesn't mean I'm not, like, into the creative aspect of this. It just means that I'm good at this part of it because of, like, this weird intermeshing. And you don't see that on film either. And I, that's what's so cool to see. I think I think that this film, I, mean, I was going to ask you guys about how you guys feel about this. This film did a good job of, of showing that um, without, like, explaining that they're showing that with the... Uh, the right, right. Hey, did you notice that Oppenheimer yeah. is good at both? Yeah, like... <laughs> well, no, but, like, I, I think, I think like... A, so, a really don't subtle, explain it. 
a, a very subtle thing that they do throughout this movie is they're showing the marbles and each time that they add the marbles. more marbles right and they're so like good. fucking around with them a lot of the times but like is is the amount of like uranium and plutonium that they're able to acquire and it takes yeah. a long time to turn uranium into plutonium the other thing that's real is that um for some reason Le like leslie groves got convinced that russia doesn't have uranium which russia has like some of the biggest uranium deposits or at least the USSR did uh you know <laughs> uh, of anywhere on earth so like sure. there really yeah. was a thing like well russia's not going to get the bomb like you know telling yourself that because they don't have any uranium and they like the scientists in this movie but also like in real life had to keep correcting everybody up to like fucking truman being like no 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 they don't have a of, yeah. like they can very easily get uranium dude like <laughs> yeah Zach, how do you feel about that? Oh, about that? Uh, about the uranium? Not, not that last bit, but... No, like, the, the, no I thought the Anything. marbles were... Uh, the I science like stuff, I'm like... Mm, yeah, whatever. Well, but, I but mean, come on. It's a little compelling, right? I mean, like... Oh, yeah, no, it is. I mean, I like, I was a big... When I was in high school, I was a big science guy. I eventually got to a point... My, my math skills... Like, I'm good with numbers. I'm not good with mathematics. But that's the and, thing. Physics and math, not right. the same thing. Oh, I get right? it. Right? And, and so this this movie does a good job of showing that. A little bits of like all my friends took AP physics. Like, oh, shit. So my yet. science interest kind of dropped off in like my senior year. But I've always loved science, and I've always loved movies that like I've always loved like hard sci-fi. And not that this is sci-fi because <laughs> all this shit happened. Right. But, it like, feels like sci-fi though. You know, this this does feel like a, it, it feels yeah. very two thousand and one in that it's like hard science rather than like you know fucking uh event horizon or like something else that's just like total bullshit right. um you know it, yeah I, I i i love all the science stuff in this movie and it's it's actually part of the reason that i find it so rewatchable too is watching the process of like, just the building the team and building and 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 how we make the uh how we made the bomb and stuff well, when we when we talked about Interstellar like a couple months ago, uh, we were talking about how like Christopher Nolan's brother, who didn't co-write this script mm. with him but co-wrote Interstellar with him, right, um, went to uh, Caltech, which is somewhere that um, that you know Oppenheimer also had like a relationship with. Like, Where smart he, people go. <laughs> well, he he was he would lecture there and stuff. I don't I don't think he ever fully worked there as like a full time faculty member. He was working at Berkeley, which is kind of funny because of what berkeley's now known for is like you know the free this free speech uh fucking movement hippie college kind of but like yeah. he, he started the program at berkeley and then he went to caltech um and like well christopher nolan's brother went to caltech studied under kip thorne and um there's like a large relationship there and All tied together and so so it's kind of fascinating for uh you know they like i feel like both nolans have like a relationship to that entire world um right you know but for the for science fiction uh, up until now, which now they're kind of doing like the real life version of that, right? Like telling the story of like um, the innovations that came out of that world, uh, it, like in the real world, but it still feels like science fiction in a way. It does because, because again, that wasn't the focus, right? In, in the same way that the White Holes paper had been, uh, had been published a year and a half earlier, we maybe live, would live in a different world. But I can I also just say rep, Bay Area representation, like seeing the UC Berkeley campus was like, I was like, oh. Like having lived in, in the Bay Area for 22 years of my life, it was like, and it really hasn't changed that much. So it, it's kind of awesome that like to be able to see it uh, represented because it's a huge, huge part of of the story. And, and like, again, the, the founding of like American physics, ostensibly, you know, like it, it's like if you're not considering just like whatever Einstein was up to, like 
you get to see that as a almost side effect of like the narrative arc for this movie, but it is rooted so clearly in the fact that you know his whole thing about like like they're trying to tar him as like you know uh, like a red basically, and it's like no, he has empathy for these struggling people and, and is sort of like you know ostensibly a dilettante by the Florence Pugh character, <laughs> right? Like by her metric of things, but. Almost enough to not get him a, a nod on the project by like the the government. He did. Folks. He did write read all uh, all three volumes of Capital in the original German on a train. I love that, and, yeah. and it's yeah. I love that it's in the movie, and it's like yeah, that is impressive. But I, but I, also I, but also like people are like there's a lot of uh, talk in like the the book about kind of um he he understood it obviously on like an economic level, but like it's a lot of stuff where it's like the the actual details of it. You're like I don't know how well versed he is in that part of it, but like he did read. You know what I mean? Like he he did read all three volumes of it because what's his what's and what does he yeah. say? It's like oh, that's more than most. Like that's more than most of the most party, party members. members have done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the the other that's thing great. that kind of fascinates throughout this is like the Neil Bohr, uh, Neil Bohr's kind of ideas that uh, kind of directly translate into Oppenheimer because that's like you know mm -hmm. the, the quote was like uh, Neil Bohr is God and Oppenheimer is his prophet essentially. Mm -hmm. um, there's a there's a lot of he he talks to him in the movie about this, but like uh, there's kind of like a one world system kind of thing where um, Neil Bohr had this entire idea about uh, arms control and how the United Nations could take over, uh, which you know somewhat later happened with arms control treaties and stuff like that. But like he was kind of the father of arms control and the idea that at some point you're gonna have to give up some of your um you know your power to an international body, which would then have to regulate and uh, like look at, um, which is kind of how the United Nations functions in some way now, like look at uh, your arms facilities and like uh, your arsenal and they're gonna have to make sure that you're not over overdoing it and preparing for war. And he had this whole system that would have taken um, direct kind of uh, access for whatever government because they knew that, you know, very quickly other governments would start having uh, their own, you know, atomic bomb, and that was a threat. That that yeah. was Heinlein, like outright put it in his books that, that like he 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 feared like the downfall of American society under like you know the world government, the Secretary General being like you know the big boss shot caller of the world, basically. Uh, I think a stranger in a strange land. He's like and like whatever. I'm not saying Heinlein is like 100 percent correct. I'm just saying that was it was something that was in the zeitgeist that like yeah. the yeah. idea of there being a world government was considered like you know. Uh, something that you had to opine on if you were going to get a security clearance like well what who do you think should be well and, shots? well us of uh, course clearly us it, it kind of it kind of links up to you know i've been, I've been reading um john or gene edward smith's uh biography of fdr and there, there's kind of the story of uh wendell wilkie who ran against him and wendell wilkie ended up, yeah. yeah ended up dying in 1944 which means he yeah. couldn't you know win the republican nomination but he had the theory of the one world government where he like went around right. and was like oh shit like with the amount of fucking war we have right now like there might have to be an actual like one world system where everybody's kind of under the same uh international body because like uh or we're gonna have world wars over and over again until the end of time and the neil Bohr thing i think is a, is a, a smaller representation of that where he believed that his own uh concepts about theoretical physics and his own uh like the scientific community could be used as the basis for the whole world because yeah. constantly scientists are, are internationally sharing information right like it's, yeah. it's a community that functions as like its own system with its own ethical code which is with, with its own practicality um which kind of uh you know military secrecy doesn't really jive with so like the the constraints that were put under um you know everybody at los alamos to kind of uh be secretive and not be working with all these people that they would they, they would have been working for like working with for decades internationally 
um, the, the belief was that at some point you could just take the international scientific community and use that as almost like an international body or as the model for an international body. But like that's kind of handled in a very in a very quick uh, back and forth in this, which I kind of thought was cool. Like uh, when he's talking to Neil Bohr, well, because because yeah. otherwise the story is going to get bogged down in that, which which is that's not what this is about, right? I mean, yeah. like I, I I don't know. I mean, Christina, Zach, don't let the top half of this show uh, dominate the conversation. <laughs> yeah. I know. I I, 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 I I just I just find it staggering that the movie, even though yeah, you can say, but oh, you would do a scientist, right? Sorry. It's three. It's three hours, so it has the real estate or whatever. But like I, the fact that the movie is able to address all of that stuff at all is like incredible to me. Kind of mind because I don't because I don't feel it just pays lip service to anything. I feel every idea yeah. presented in the movie gets like properly like properly examined well so so that's a good point because like hold on hold on like i think you could make a rock solid feature-length film from each of the ostensible three parts of this film yeah Yeah. right like including the c-span part which i love i love i'm obviously i love which uh talk about that part um pbs has done kind of they they took uh they they did a representation of the entire uh that's the uh, hearing I think it's in the Criterion channel as a feature with um, the the other movie that they, that they made with this. But, like, yeah, no, it, it's – and that's almost, like, the same thing to do, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> if you're if you're not I, Christopher Nolan. You can also you, – like, taking away the actual, uh, like, full amount of dialogue, right? Like, everything that's touched upon in the book and, like, in Oppenheimer's yeah. life. What What's the important thing is the trans, transformation from theoretical physics – to science administration and then the transformation a, a full quantum leap from science administration to politics which yeah. you know he's not a politician but he's within the realm of policy making as you know as part of the atomic energy commission for the rest of his life like he is inherently yeah. a political person inherently kind of a politician from that point on and that's the important part i think right like the the things that you lose uh jumping to science administration where you're no longer kind of doing the theoretical work you have to delegate which is its own set of things I, and then jumping into policy making which right. you know you have to constantly be giving things up because you're like well you know i'm not the full voice here i don't have the power but like i need to stay within the realm of a of a political establishment because and, he and he's almost thought of as lesser by his scientific peers which in the fact like which in fact he's like best in class for like the actual theoretical physics part of it, but because he's good at these other things as well, by nature of a, a polymath uh, sort of attribute to his personality, means that like he's good at the politics part where no one else could be. He's good at the administrative yeah. parts where no one else could be. But it sucks because like there's there's this conceit amongst scientific establishments like, well, if you're doing that stuff, then you're not doing pure science, right? And, and you get a little bit of that, like, and it's mostly just like little catty bitch stuff that. Here you can like yeah. you so far. <laughs> All right. But, so, 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 um, I, but, but I he's wanna, the first one to be like, I'm not practical. I'm not like a practical physics guy. Like, I'm not going to be like shooting things through the collider. You know, like, that's yeah. not my deal. Like, or like, he's like, there's things I want to test with the collider, but I'm yeah. not going to be the one that, you know what I mean? No, he's, like, he not, knows that's not I his bailiwick. I can't even it's hold a beaker without smashing it. So, no one hands, you know. <laughs> but, uh, I, want, I wanted to, I wanted to pivot for a second, uh, or, you know, because Christina's getting bored. I want to throw in some uh, Killian Murphy. <laughs> I'm looking Murphy. like the disappointing Killian Murphy me right now. I, I want to throw in some Killian Murphy because it's, uh, you know. Yeah, he's in the movie apparently. We've got, we've got an hour and a half talking about, you know. Science and math and bleh. <laughs> All right, Hasn't been that much about science and math, but okay, sure. Yeah. 
and we met all these the most brilliant people in the world. But what I was interested in was what all that knowledge and insight uh, and theory does to your perspective and your view on the world. Yes. Early on in the movie, you see a young Oppenheimer having a series of visceral panic attacks. Yeah. And I would have had something similar getting the script from Christopher Nolan, <laughs> going, I can't turn this down. This yeah. is the role of a lifetime. We're in a race against the Nazis. How on earth am I going to do it justice? Yeah. And I know what it means if the Nazis have a bomb. Was there a similar, I can't do it, but I've got to do it feeling? My history with Chris is that I, I, I've, I'll always say yes to him. <laughs> You know, we, we've worked together for 20 years, and I, I adore his work. Oh, having trouble. I think he's one of the greatest directors of his generation, one of the greatest living directors. There's no one making films like him. So to answer your question, you just say yes. You just say yes. You just, uh, no, any actor in the world would, would, would say yes to Chris. But yeah, the, uh, the, the roles that I love are the ones that you go, oh, fuck, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if that's possible. It's, it's yeah. so, so terrifying and it's vastness. And this was one of those. So you just dive in. I lent very heavily on Chris mm. throughout the whole process. Because he is the expert of experts and you can yeah. ask him anything and he's got this perfectly just so answer for everything. Yeah. It must be such a warm experience going, he's always there. He's always there. And he, by the way, doesn't understand all those physics uh, uh, questions that you might pose to me. Like he would be able to answer those. He, he is that brilliant. And he wrote the script. So, you know, you, you have that resource there with mm. you all the time. I love that scene where you and Emily Blunt are flirting over the question of, can you explain quantum mechanics to me? Yeah. And I went, I don't know how you're making this sexy, but well done, guys. <laughs> Impressive work. That's yes. Emily. <laughs> she does that. Yeah. That's happening, isn't it? You work across some incredible people in this movie. I can be as ridiculously you know over the top here as i like it's absurd robert Downey jr yeah. and emily blunt as you've already mentioned you've got somebody who's not afraid of or scared of explaining complicated ideas on a blackboard matt damon <laughs> yeah. done it a few times he has there must have been a few moments when you were spending days upon days with him going can't we just muck about like <laughs> like this is this is tough tough stuff why why how about because this is the most important thing that ever happened in the history of the world? Was there room for any sort of levity or was it always focused? It was both. You know, there okay. was incredibly focused. And then, the, you know, in the in the very brief downtime that we had, mm. we, there, we, there was a lot of joking around. And, mm. you know, because I know Emily from working with her before. Matt is very, very close with Emily. The um, adjustment bureau. <laughs> yes, indeed. And they, they're neighbors in, in New York. And like Downey is one of the funniest people you could possibly meet, one of the most entertaining people mm -hmm. you could possibly meet. But again, so rigorous and focused in the work. And like for me, every day, you know, you look at the call sheet and you say, oh my God, Ken Brown is in tomorrow. Just... Or Gary Oldman <laughs> is in t t tomorrow. It was... Who's now done Truman and also Churchill. Yeah. Can oh, someone no, we need to talk about that. It's <laughs> the hat trick. I, I, I want to see it done somehow. But you have to channel the voice as well. And a yeah. voice that ages. Yeah. How did you begin that work? Well, like from the beginning, we, we, we didn't want to do an impersonation or an impression. That's not mm. part of my skill set at all. However, like he was very distinctive in the way he spoke and that that kind of timbre and that uh, pitch that he had. 
Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I suppose we all thought that one way or another. It's an accent you don't hear anymore. No. Like in, in American. You know, it's very kind of like Orson Welles. Actors are actors. And one aspect of it is the political game. Mr. Rogers, kind of from that same world. Yes. Mr. Rogers. Yeah. But you know, the toughest thing is to love somebody who has done something mean to you. Yeah. Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I, I love the line in this that kind of uh, sums up like his whole, uh, like what Oppenheimer's like entire, I guess, uh, aesthetic was, which yeah. is when he's walking in and Robert Downey Jr. is like, I'm a self-made man. And he's like, I can relate to that. My father was one of those. It is like such a good uh, distillation of like his background and yeah. why, like why he is kind of in some ways um, so theoretical about things and so disconnected is like, oh yeah, like this this guy had like rich parents that you know what I mean. Like his mm -hmm. dad did did real well like uh, monetarily, <laughs> so he got mm -hmm. to go to Europe and literally, literally the whole uh, incident with the apple when he poisoned, which didn't happen. Well, no, it, it did happen. It did have he he actually did and then they, someone found out about it they, they don't they don't know how someone found out about it but his parents had to come from america pay money to go on like a ship to come to america to like to beg for cambridge not to fucking expel him for trying to poison his tutor yeah the, like his grandson is kind of bitching about stuff that were inaccurate or like you know urban legends and stuff like that i'm like if it happened it happened it's it's a film it, it's if you he know dies he dies I, I do like the idea that killy murphy said that the the point is not to imitate someone like you can't just be listening yeah. to like speeches in the headphones and try to sound like it's evocation is the key you got to have the essence of the person you're portraying because these were real people the Mr. Rogers thing is especially interesting because his cadence is so yeah. even, yeah, and so calm, right? Yeah, and like it's it's like no, I can totally see that now that that's why Killian Murphy also, does uh, audiobooks. Yeah, it's really also funny that Oppenheimer and I mean Mr. Rogers too, but like they're, they're such like slow, deliberate talkers. But like yeah. the whole the whole point of like the you know the Manhattan Project was to get this done fast, fast, fast. So yeah. it's funny to like imagine like a guy that's like yeah. uh, trying to make decisions and he's like. Well, the most well, just because you work fast doesn't mean that you have to talk fast. I know. And just because you think fast doesn't mean you have to speak fast. But like that's it's. <laughs> I'm a fast talker. It is funny. Yeah, that that's a bunch yeah. of you know whatever. It's a show um, of fast talkers. Also, but, also there's a so Los Alamos really did have and I, I something that I wanted to bring up with this. Um, I feel like building a film set is a lot like the construction that happened at Los Alamos. Yeah, right? yeah, where you're yes. like doing stuff like with like. Here's a budget. You got like two months to complete it. Go. Yeah, and you have to build an entire town. <laughs> yeah, you exactly. Like the Blazing Saddles thing where they build the town and then they yeah, like, <laughs> but, no, that's um, real. Just to do a shootout. Absolutely. But uh, like yeah, I it's kind of it's kind of fascinating. Los Alamos they built the dormitories really fast. Uh, to the point where they're talking about the atomic bomb while construction workers were still like working on the Los Alamos thing, which is like that's bad security. I'm just gonna say it. But um, right. they they also like there there was a like Saturdays are for the boys policy kind of where yeah. they stopped working for the weekend so they right. would only work Monday to Friday. Everybody's working. No, that's the wrong song. They would they would <laughs> they would have these parties and they would bring a bunch of lab alcohol because lab alcohol obviously like the proof is sure. really high and they couldn't really like just get alcohol in like Santa Fe or whatever. So yeah, they would have moonshine. Sure. And and also they found out at one point that uh, a lot of like the single women that were hired to be like sonographers and stuff were uh the scientists were like paying them for sex like at, at times shocking women. like so there, so there there was like this no there's like this very uh dormant
dormitory part and they call them like the dormitories like it's a very party atmosphere at the same time as being this uh breakneck speed like yeah uh, well so so okay so so again i feel like half of the show is forced uh, talking about you talking about the book right but like there's other perspectives that validate that. The Richard Fine again, the serial joking Mr. Feynman talks about some of the Manhattan Project. He has a different like take on it, and like like you can kind of read between the lines on certain things. But yeah, like they got they they got up to some nonsense. You know, it's it's like what are you gonna do? Uh, and, and and it makes sense because when you think about it being like a relatively unnatural scenario that everyone's being put in, like of course there's gonna be like there's gonna be things that people are gonna do whether you plan for it or not, basically. Yeah. I I like you know watching the press tour and all that. I've never seen Killing Murphy this excited during a press tour out of any of his movies that he's done. It's a role of a lifetime. Yeah, really. Like you know? you're really engaged. I'm like you're not like this for once. Yeah, this I mean is, it's uh, yeah. I know I found the the thing that I sent you where it was him and Florence Pugh and they were like smiling. the flowers boom. Yeah, this is hey, the, it's it's us. This is this is this is from this is from that interview. This, uh... And for you, Emily, like getting to work up close with like Julian on this and seeing yeah. him kind of become Oppenheimer, what was that like? Because it's a very intense role for him. Well, I think it, I mean it was just a huge thing to shoulder. We were all so impressed and mesmerized simultaneously by what he did every day, and they, um, they have, just they a have, monumental uh, them thing. Paired up and these interviews, and they have he's so, uh, he's one of those extraordinary actors who can just play the duality interviews. of oh, yeah. every moment. And I've I think this. Want that for this character who's so enigmatic and charismatic and He's also just a doll. He's like so lovely, and 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 we'd laugh between takes. There was levity. It wasn't all like super intense. It was a very calm set. There was no chaos, and it's crazy that the film has become as sort of startling and visceral and impactful as it is. Because I think on the set, it was calm, wasn't it? It was. It was yeah. nice. It was like Chris a nice and Emma environment. Are so prepared that they that the set is just you know they're ready for anything, and so. Chris also really understands actors and acting, and so he's very good at kind of creating an environment where his actors can thrive. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and it shows in the film. And, you know, I came away obviously feeling very emotionally changed, and I really felt the weight that these characters had to bear for you guys. Did you come away feeling changed in any way? How did it affect you working on this project and working with each other in Nolan? I mean, I feel I remember telling Nolan on my last day I like hugged him and said how much the whole thing had meant to me and I just know there are certain experiences where they're like the fingerprints of the experience were just gonna will live on you forever and it's just so it, it I was so I'm so honored to be in the movie it's I've, I've been proud of films before but I'm so honored to be in it and and just watching him work and learning what really is the right environment for actors to thrive. Like he's one of the directors that offers that. And and I know that this film is going to be very lasting for people. I can feel that already with you guys and what you say about it and people wanting to go and see it twice, three times, four times. And just because there's so much to absorb, it's the most substantial, exhilarating film and it's deeply moving. So I think we're just thrilled Probably. that it's coming out. Yeah, that people are that that everybody's going to get to see it now, um, you know, and it is, you know, one of the great performances, I think. Yeah. Killian's just incredible. And, look at him staring at us. Look at him just, look just giving me the eyes. Look at, he's looking at me. <laughs> Tell me about um, it. He's, he's like the Mona Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> but they, but Chris from the outset said that was 
the whole thing was riding on that performance and and watching the two of them because it really was the two of them together kind of building that performance um they were in complete unison um just so dialed in together and and that's why it works so well yeah man i mean that's I yes. guess I guess the other clip is one with the flowers. Now that I yeah. look, now I look here, but uh, I'll play that after this. But uh, the the <laughs> thing that I think is really funny that I uh, saw a clip where it's Matt Damon and Emily Blunt is that um, they're obviously they're 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 neighbors in New York City. Like uh, I think they live one floor apart or something like that. Mm-hmm. So Christopher Nolan like came to Matt Damon's house and was like, and they like obviously they've worked together a million times, but um, so. Like, uh, he went there and he was like, hey, uh, can like, do you want to do this movie? And gave him the script. And he's like, when are you going to know if you want to do it? And like, was kind of pressuring yeah. him, like trying to get him to agree to do it. He finally uh, came back the next day and he's like, all right. And then he made an appointment with Emily Blunt in L.A. because he didn't want to make it seem like he was going to the same building twice yeah. to ask uh, people to be like, <laughs> he didn't want to make it seem like he's like, who lives in this wow. building? Like, uh, who yeah, can yeah. I cast this movie? Like, who's. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that was such a funny little like anecdote. It's like <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. He's such an interesting character. Yeah, like as a person, which is like it's like he's almost like a character in like one of like a Noah movie. You know? and, it, it, and 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 it's funny too because he played a, he did a cameo of like Thor Ragnarok where you know Loki kind of secretly takes over and like they're doing yeah. that play and he's playing Loki and I'm like, is that Matt Damon? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Matt Damon seems like a nice guy. Like I don't know, he's, he's always pro, like, you know, union and like you know. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not like. There's this, there's this clip that uh, when gets out of context. Somebody there's this clip that somebody sent around. I'll, I'll find it for like if we do an after party at some point in the future. But like, uh, he he's talking about teachers' unions and like there's this libertarian yeah. like Reason TV like reporter that's like trying to talk shit about teachers' unions and he's like uh, he just goes off on them. And fucking, yeah, good for he's, he's like, he's like, teachers, teachers do this because they love this. You think they're trying to, you think they're trying to just uh, make a shit like shit wages because they just want to, you know, make money out of it. No, they love doing this. And he's like, and he's like, if you make money as a cameraman, I don't know if you're a good cameraman or not. You might be a terrible cameraman. And he like just absolutely just, just goes destroys off. the fucking libertarian uh, anti-union people. But all right, so this is the one that I was trying to find with uh, Killian Murphy and, and Florence Pugh. This is the flowers there? Okay. Yeah, yeah, got chemistry. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I've been trying to balance this out between, uh, you know, nerding out about the book and like how cool that was, and like the the scientific part of it, and Christina wanting to see more Killian Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> this is why it's a blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah. And Florence. You know what's gonna happen. I know. I do. I do. Let's see. <laughs> what? What? Thank you so much. Do the back. <laughs> Every time. Now, Killian, obviously you're no stranger to a Nolan movie, but this yeah. is your first time stepping into a leading role. So what was your reaction when, you know, you got the call? And Florence, for you, what was the reaction? Because this is your first Nolan movie. It was a complete and utter sh- shock. You know, that's Chris's kind of MO, you know, he just calls you out of the blue when the script is finished and they know that they're shooting. And it was Emma, you know, his wife and producer that called me. And I genuinely didn't know anything. And I mean, it's one of those calls that you get a few times in your career if you're lucky. And this is one of them. So, you know, I had to sit down and then um, begin to process. And then immediately you start to go to work. 
you know, that's that's your kind of instinct. Is the joy, the joy is amazing, the kind of elation, and then it's like let's get into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All America's industrial might and scientific innovation connected here. Similarly, however, I didn't really know what was going on or what it was that was being made, except I knew that um, Chris really, really wanted me to know that it, it wasn't a very big role and he understands if I don't want to come near it. And um, and I, I was like, well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> if, yeah, even if I'm a coffee maker at a cafe in the back of the room, let's do it. Yeah. Um, but no, it was uh, it was obvious and we met for a, a drink in, in New York at the time and I was currently shooting uh, a good person and it was at the end of a shooting day and I, I remember he was actually doing a scout the next day and it was just, just it's one of those bizarre moments in your career where you're like, I'm meeting Christopher Nolan at the end of my shooting day, oh my God. And I remember he apologized by the size of the role. I was like, please don't. <laughs> and then he said we'll send you the script and you honestly you just read it and you decide if it's like i completely understand the sizing thing and i remember like even when i got the script being like i don't need to, like i know i know i'm gonna do it <laughs> so, um so yeah it was it was huge obviously it's been a long time since adjustment bureau do you see his outfit today it's giving check out the poster <laughs> And then look at the outfit today. Same. It was the first thing I said to you on that carpet. <laughs> I didn't think of it until you oh, said it. Oh, I saw you a mile off with oh. your sleeves rolled up and oh. I was like, yes. So it's been a long time since that film. Too long. Too long. We finally get you guys in a movie together. Yeah. I think, what was it? One bit of dialogue between you guys? Come I on. think I said, yeah. general. Yeah, and I, and I grunted. When Mrs. Oppenheimer. <laughs> and then you went, hello, son. And that was it. That didn't make the final cut. I know, it was a great line. That was a great line. But would you guys have thought all those years ago that you'd be doing another movie together and a Nolan movie, no I less? Know, I know, and I'm just saying my name's before yours on the poster, yeah. which is a which is a source of contention. <laughs> which is well, she, you know, it's it's you know, it's full circle now, you know. Yeah, Matt, Matt just pulled me off the streets yeah, to audition her, for adjustment. Pulled her right off the streets. Nobody had ever seen career. her before. <laughs> <laughs> no one had heard of her, and look at her now. Uh, before you on the poster. Outbilling me on the poster. I know. There's a moment in the movie that I really love where we see Oppenheimer and he's wearing this army uniform. Mm. And someone says to him, like, "What? this isn't you. You're a scientist. Yes. Why are you wearing that? And I think it really highlights how clothing can help us unlock and harness, like, ourselves and who we are. Yes. Sure. Also, people were bitching about the age difference between Kelly Murphy and Florence Pugh, and I'm like, shut up. What's I mean, she's younger than me. Yeah, because he's 47. She's like 27. And I'm like, he looks like 10 years younger. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> once once you're over 25, it's... The things that whatever. people are bitching about this movie are like weird. Like yeah. all of all of it's deeply weird to me. Like, I mean, all right. Like I get, I get like whatever. If you're like a, you know, if you're interested in whatever side of the story and then you don't see what you wanted to see, like, all right. That's like whenever people do any kind of real like movie about real life, right? Like there's always that. But then, like the age gap thing is weird. It's very fucking weird. It's very common people are really, really obsessed on that in recent years, and I, I, I find myself. It's hard for me to care. Lauren frankly. McCall and Humphrey Bogart. They had an age yeah. difference. No like, what do you hear that. about literally all of movies through all of time? <laughs> I did I did think that the Oppenheimer porn lady was really funny though. That like she like that whole that whole thing where her husband had like a porn uh <laughs> porn addiction or whatever she claimed. 
and I think it's just that she caught him watching porn once and like it was like an evangelical fucking couple but she did that whole video where she's like it was so hard for us to just sit there and I made him like he had to look at the ground and I was like dude there's some titties shut the fuck up. like it's not even like you're not seeing it. it's not like porn yeah. like you literally the most you see is some titties it is Florida Shoes yeah. titties every time she walks on the fucking red carpet you see that anyway she always yeah Florida Shoes like, like free the nipple yeah. let's go yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mad respect for the queen though <laughs> She's definitely of the living free mindset for sure. Yeah. We thank her for it. Uh, yeah. Um, there's, I don't think the movie as masterfully as it is made and masterfully as it, uh, directed and scored and so on works without the cast being as attuned to each other as they are. Oh yeah. It's one of the greatest movie. Ca- oh, well, there are so many things that are superb about this movie, but it is, gen- it is genuinely like one of the greatest casts in the history of cinema. And it's the kind of, ca- like you don't get cast like this anymore. Like I can't think of a movie that's post like the seventies that has a cast like this. Or at Wes least Anderson I, certainly I tries to do it with every one he of his tries, movies, but, but, but that's the thing he he has like the main like the tries. main. Wes Anderson has a main cast that can rival the main cast of this movie, but yeah. he doesn't have where like the fiftieth person in the cast list is Gary Oldman, you know that kind of thing. As fucking Truman, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is amazing. I mean, right, like, like, and I had the same moment that Lindsay had of, of like a uh, you know Robert Downey Jr. be like. Oh shit! Is that Gary Oldman? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did too. You didn't drop the bomb. I did. I, I, it's why you feel guilty. <laughs> and it's great. Truman, it Truman like... I guess. Truman, I guess. Uh, throughout like the years, kept hyping up that story. So like yeah. the first time, I, yeah, I did. Think, I think it strikes an interesting balance between the times that he hyped up the story, where he pulls sure. out the the napkin and he doesn't quite say the line. But uh, yeah. Truman, at, at some point by like the end of Truman's life, he was saying that he was like, "Oh, you got blood on your hands? Here, wash them off, then." Yeah, and, like, yeah. And here's the fucking napkin, and like that's not. I doubt that's what happened in the actual thing, but it's it's kind of funny. Two, fun, yeah, both Oppenheimer and Truman are like these self myth mythologic like self i guess the self mythology that both of them built for themselves later in life right, right? kept on yeah. getting bigger and bigger because all of these people that we deal with within you know any kind of history but like especially american history are egotistical as fuck and deeply and have parts of them i think that are deeply uh um either regretful or deeply like um insecure so i think that the the cast in this did that pretty well like truman's bravado with being the guy that just like uh came out of nowhere and within like two weeks of fucking you know like becoming vice president was suddenly president like the bravado and like uh incisive decision making that he had to do and because everyone's like look at this fucking bumpkin this this bumpkin yeah yeah he had he had a lot to prove to like what we'll call we would call today the beltway right like like they they didn't believe in him or believe he would they deserve to be there but by the same token how great is like the small scale scene of like where they're deciding where to bomb in Japan, yeah, and he's like, "Oh no, I, I went there on my honeymoon. It was a lovely place." That yeah. was okay. Too. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Every every time, so I saw the I've seen the movie four times, and every time that line got Someone like uh, got like morbid laughter. Yeah, because yeah. that's like, like <laughs> what can you? It's like, oh fuck, because that's how they that's how it's done, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. How, it's that's done. how they decide to bomb a place. I mean, come on, look at Obama's drone strikes. Anywho, um, <laughs> Obamaheimer. Where, yeah, can we talk about like? Okay, so there's a joke among the you know Strauss getting no. you know not getting his you know commerce whatever, and uh, you know his and. You know, they say JFK didn't vote for him. And someone was yeah, like, yeah. oh, man, Christopher Nolan missed the opportunity to go. And JFK will turn. And I'm like, this is not going to be having a sequel. 
JFK will be here in Oppenheimer too. Well, I do, I do love how all the straw stuff, all the black one stuff, is very reminiscent of the movie JFK. Yeah. That being right. said, yeah. After he got, after he was denied his Senate position, he was the first Strauss, one to get denied too, and since like oh, like thirty-five years. But he, yeah. Strauss, lost like all of his political influence after that. So yeah. I think, mm. I think the idea that he was involved with like JFK's assassination is just. Mm. where he had no strings to pull yeah no he definitely wasn't involved in jfk's assassination but the the thing that is funny though um he lost his political influence and like political capital but he did retain at least for like a while his like position at the uh like the the research oh look andy's fucking just popped up at the uh he, he retained his he retained his uh position at princeton as the head of the board while uh, Oppenheimer was the director of the scientific research Institute or whatever. And they had to stay there for decades together, going back yeah. and forth after right. all of this had gone down, like yeah. continuing to snipe at each other at Princeton with neither of them having any political influence because they had both been kind of kicked out of like establishment circles during the McCarthy era. But like their relationship had to keep continuing because they lived in the same fucking place, which is yeah. hilarious. I think it's like just, it's like, yeah. what's your hell? Like, number one, you don't have any political influence. Number two, like, you're stuck <laughs> with, like, the guy you hate most in the guy fucking world. Yeah. And, they, and they, they continued having these weird, uh, vindictive, petty, like, fights where they would try to get the board to uh, oust the other person. But, like, neither one was going to get ousted by the board. So they're just kind of stuck in purgatory together. Right, right, right. <laughs> what, what's, the worst, what's worse than mutually assured destruction is if you both survive it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but by the way, Jandro World basically playing the Gary Oldman role of like yeah. the oh like look at that cameo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but JFK, LBJ, yeah, but he had power. And, so that's good. Uh, JFK, LBJ, and Stuart Simon in the shadows ended up being the three uh, votes that they had to sway in order to right. have um, Louis Straws like you know be denied, denied. or not denied uh, confirmation. Which you know I, I saw people complaining about like oh that JFK line. He's like the one guy that was left that hadn't yeah. made his mind yet. You have to mention yeah. the, th the three of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, but he was also the one he like whipped the other two votes too. Yeah. Kennedy. Yeah. Well, and that's, it's cool that people like are that granular to then get upset about In that. In the history. Because <laughs> like, it's like, think about again, what I will just now charitably call the C SPAN back third of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, <laughs> I love. But I love like you know advising consent, like 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 yeah. movies, movies like that. Like of course I, I, I love it. Advising uh, consent, that's just, which is which is beautiful, it's it's gorgeous stuff. Yes. But like, like Nolan manages to make like a movie in a movie about the founder of the atomic bomb. It'd be like, is this guy's confirmation going to go through or not? I can't wait to see what happens. <laughs> amazing, amazing. For that's astounding. Not for, even. Not for, even. Commerce secretary. <laughs> it's not yeah. even the position that he was seeking. It's not even something nothing cool. Nothing to do with science, <laughs> research, anything. No. He wanted to be he wanted to be Eisenhower's like uh the guy that did fucking granular trade policy, pretty yeah. much. Like that was <laughs> but, but the thing yeah. is though like it grabs you right from the get-go. So like you are you're you're just like along for the ride. Like like there's no like ramp up, there's nothing. You're just boom, you're you're at a full sprint and you're like, okay, I'm 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 here. And yeah, so 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 uh, you know it, it, that momentum carries you for for quite a ways into that movie, uh, and then you're actually invested in everything else. So yeah, that works. And so you're invested in like every character, one way or another, no big or small. Yeah, yeah. But Lewis draws all just kind of sucks. 
And yeah, you no, know, I mean Robert Downey Jr. does an excellent like job making like, you like realize like this guy sucks. Like I, I decided yeah. to just 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 for the purpose of this discussion, I decided to pull up like you know uh, famous commerce commerce secretaries. Right? Let, let's look yeah. at this. <laughs> let, let, let's look at this crew, huh? Let, let, oh. let, let's, let's check them out, right? Oh, yeah, who can forget Peter G. Peterson from Illinois? Who? Under 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 Nixon. Yeah, yeah, great. Great. Oh. <laughs> is what I like to call him. Same energy yeah, yeah. Aaron A. Aronson. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you could, like, I feel like AI, like, made most of these names. I feel like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Malcolm Baldridge Jr. Great. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, fucking president also has, like, three different commerce secretaries. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's a, there's a high turnover nothing, rate. I don't know any of these people. I consider myself pretty well versed in, like, American political history, and I don't recognize Why? a single. Oh, I know Robert. I, I, Robert I, know, Robert. Da I know Daly. Yeah. How can you not know Daly? Daly? Yeah. <laughs> so out of, Norman Mineta. Like 80 years, and I recognize two of the names. Gary Locke. I forgot about Gary Locke. Oh, my God. Ah, Gary Locke sucks. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like yeah, the point Barack, is. Like, Barack Obama had like seven. Oh, my God. Wilbur Ross. I forgot about that. Yeah, Wilbur, oh, Wilbur Ross is Each maybe one of the more notable with, ones, but that's not a good These guys thing. lasted about like six months under Obama. Yeah, they, exactly. Exactly. So that's <laughs> the, the point of that bit, not just to goof on people in our government, is, is to needs. say that like <laughs> it's a nothing job. Really, yeah. but like, he was it's, like, it's "I honestly, need this. I need this." I'm like, "No, you don't." It's a make work job slash a let's reward my political ally kind of job. Yeah, yeah. for the most part. But they're like, "Nah, you you witch hunt in Oppenheimer. Yep. We like him now. <laughs> <laughs> now we like him exactly. Yeah, he, he baked Florence Pugh. We like him. Mm -hmm. Like he did it but, for the committee. So you know, <laughs> I'm look. I'm looking at yeah. It, yeah, I but, mean. The, the, I kind of the only the only the only president I guess that really did like uh had like had like blockbuster level fucking commerce secretaries was FDR with Hopkins and then Wallace kind of uh mm -hmm. yes. being there like that's the only guy that was like Christopher yeah. Nolan it Christopher Nolaning it with uh with his commerce secretaries being like everybody everybody in my uh everybody in my cabinet is a fucking A list yeah. actor and they're all making appearances. Yeah, the, if you're the Avengers of like uh, administrative government, sure. Yeah, okay. it helps. It helps if you inherit the country at like its absolute fucking lowest point uh, since like the Civil War. I think. I think that's. I think that's the secret. If you want to have a good president, and you want to have like a good presidential, like a good cabinet. Um, you need Make to sure have stuff fucking, sucks really bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There needs to be a serious calamity around the time of the election, like it's an economic disaster or something. Like well, those that. are like those are like the hinge points, right? Like you you have the uh, chance to remake the world if you inherit it at its lowest. You don't really yeah. if, if everything's going great, you're not exactly going to be like let's switch things up a bit. Like yeah, <laughs> you don't change horses in midstream. Yeah, as, uh, as, as as we learned honest, on Wag the Dog, yeah. <laughs> and well, as Honest Dave said too, there was his. Uh, yeah. I, I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the back third of this is is eminently watchable, and that's it, it's astounding that, that that it got away with being in a not film. even Treasury <laughs> Secretary. It's like Commerce Secretary is is lower than Treasury Secretary. Like, oh, in the presidential line of succession. Oh, don't get me started. No, no, me. not the no. I'm just saying, like in in terms in of who has, in oh, terms, in terms of, of anybody caring about over okay. the cabinet. Sure. Like there's not even you don't even control the Fe like the Federal Reserve. Like you don't even have that power. Yeah. Like you know what I mean. Like you're literally just doing trade policy. <laughs> but Louis Straws, you're you a know? mouthpiece for the Chamber of Commerce, is what you want. Yeah, but like, but uh, Louis Straws, you know, from from shoe salesman to possible commerce secretary. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, and it's it's 
it that shouldn't be as compelling as it is. And that's a, a, a testament to the filmmaking and the fact that, yeah, like it, it, it works. It all works. But well, I mean, it, it does make sense that uh, Truman would want uh, a show salesman in his cabinet because he is, in fact, a haberdasher, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I mean, that would that would have worked if it wasn't Eisenhower that was trying to get him. into. Oh, the... you're right. That's Truman. Truman. <laughs> Wrong haberdasher. Ah, look. <laughs> Look, people. Well, Eisenhower is bald, and he did. He could have bought a hat, and you know, like so. Letterbox is a place for film lovers to congregate, talk at with each other about the films they love, the films they didn't love, the films that may or may not involve any haberdashers at all. Who knows? This one did. By the way, is this it Daniel Day Lewis? Uh, wait, is it shoemaker and haberdasher? That, that's a, those are different things, right? Those are yes. haberdasher is just a hat salesman. Haberdasher's yeah, hats. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. It's a hat guy. But this this movie had one haberdasher at least in it. There's at least one hat guy in it too. He could have. Right? Sure. Yeah, he could have. What if it was Truman that sold the pork pie hat to? Uh, <laughs> what if? What if? We'll forever be waiting. Uh, all of this, of course, best expressed uh, succinctly. Um, but not everybody. Everybody gets to have their say. Not just the Siskels and Ebers of the world. Uh, it's a bottom-up democracy. Uh, People get to be, they're into it, they're not into it, they're weirdly horny for it, they're not so they're weirdly horny for it. secretaries that are, you know, right, and they're not. <laughs> they're pissed off about their confirmation hearings. Everyone gets to have their say, right? And, of course, best expressed succinctly, these are the letterbox one-liners for Oppenheimer. Let's go, baby! Um, My girlfriend dabbed when Oppenheimer won the case. This is cinema. <laughs> <laughs> I like that it's two sets of hearings. It's not, it's for like, it's his, it's his hearing. And then it's another, like, it's not even like, uh, they're not telling the story of like, because most Closed movies hearing, try to yeah. do one hearing. Most movies would be like, oh, this no. is the story of, this movie has two hearings going on simultaneously on different timelines. And you can tell that because one of them is like very bright and the other one's black and white. <laughs> and I uh, chose my words carefully when I said C-SPAN. That's all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me watching the atomic bomb go off. That's cool, I guess. Me watching cross-cut scenes of men yelling at each other in rooms shot in 70 millimeter. Now this is cinema. Yeah. <laughs> well, it gets crazier too because there's a point where the, he's the screaming at the white when he's actually screaming. Yeah, when he's screaming yeah. at Oppenheimer and he's like, he's like, so did you do it? And it's like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> screaming at you in 70 millimeter. Yeah. I'm like, oh god. <laughs> Oppenheimer, or how I start, how I learned to start worrying and regret the bomb. Yeah. You don't have half as much blood in your hands as I do, crybaby scientist. <laughs> Why did we as a society stop putting intermissions in movies? <laughs> Amen. Amen, Alex. Because yes. can I tell you, I had to stop to take a pee break both times I saw this. I didn't. I didn't. I went, I went full Barbenheimer. I, did, I made it. Well, bully for you. I'm mm-hmm. just saying. I'm with Alex. Whom amongst us would not risk our life and career to see communist Florence Pugh one last time? Yeah. I know. Mm. No. She never even wears, I mean, she wears clothes, I guess, in that one scene, but like the rest of the time, you know what I mean? She's just... Well, it depends that, on what that, country you're in, because there is some CG I, clothes. I love uh, the chair scene because I'm like, oh, she's got a stomach too, like me. She's, she's, she's five foot two and weighs 120, which people are like, she needs to lose weight. And I'm like, no, she doesn't. Shut the fuck up. That sexy, by the way, uh, is the most Christopher Nolan sexy, and I think he could have possibly done when they're in the courtroom and she's writhing on him, staring like with fucking full eye contact with like Emily Blunt. Like, I feel like that—that's—that's <laughs> that's the most Christopher Nolan way to do it because it's very like it's—it's it's both abstract 
It's somehow like both tangible and abstract at the same time. Let me ride that bony body. What? <laughs> There's so many cigarettes smoked, I wouldn't be surprised if the film was eventually proven to cause lung cancer. Those herbal cigarettes are not even are not any better. It'll be the most cancer-causing movie since uh, The Conquistador. <laughs> <laughs> which which film downwind from fucking Los Alamos. There oh, you no, go. sorry, from Nevada, from the Nevada test site. Nevada. My uh, my my guy had a five pack a day habit, like oh god, the yeah. like Oppenheimer's mm -hmm. fucking smoking habit, and a pipe, and he would smoke the pipe in between chain smoking the cigarettes, and it's just like, dude, you are lung cancer, <laughs> <laughs> personified, yeah, absolutely. That's Nathan Hall, by the way. Mm -hmm. Oh hey, yeah, he hasn't been yeah. on since Friend that of the one show. time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that, that would get a bigger reaction. I don't know. But anyway. <laughs> Hope this doesn't Floppenheimer. Edit. It did not. Yeah. <laughs> there's so many things that rhyme with Oppenheimer. Like, there's so many things you can throw in there. Oppenheimer. Like, can, can I shout out this user's name, TaxBoss69? That's really good. <laughs> That's a solid, solid username. I don't, I don't like the IR. You know what? Fuck you, buddy. TaxBoss69. <laughs> Nothing, nothing says 69ing like I guess paying your taxes. Like being a tax boss. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. What kind of taxes are you collecting? He was such a good scientist. And what did they do to thank him? They made him go to a bad meeting where everyone yelled and screamed at him. <laughs> he was a good scientist though. I'm <laughs> just imagining like a dog. The way it's the way it's Bad Oppenheimer. Bad. No, you do not go to communist houses. <laughs> Why did Nolan tease JFK like the Joker card from Batman Begins? <laughs> when you said it, I was thinking about this one. By I the way. saw that one too, and I just started laughing. Yeah, yeah. This it's... looks like a job for John F. Kennedy. <laughs> 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 oh man, I know. Where do I know that name from? Played <laughs> yeah. play by uh, uh, who's who's the played a uh, Gordon Levitt? <laughs> Just Gordon Levitt. <laughs> I'd, I'd watch that. He probably slay at that. Air, uh, there's some crime happening. <laughs> the, the only way to, the only way to make it funnier is if they had said something like, uh, you know, don't lose your head over this. But Kennedy's uh, Kennedy's like on the all fence right. or something. All right, all right. <laughs> It's enough. Now I've become deaf, destroyer of ears. <laughs> that was an early that was an I think that one kicked off early. That was like one of the that was like the big kind of yeah, forty eight thousand likes or Yeah, notice I didn't like that one. It doesn't need my help. It's fine. I it's hate okay. I really I kind of just have a hatred for the fifty thousand like reviews. Mostly because I've never made one. So. You'll love them once you do them. Yeah. Yeah. If, well, if I if I have one, but like the most I've ever, I've I've gotten like a hundred once, one time. Yeah, I got likes. four once. <laughs> I don't, I only get Andy and Conan like bitching at me about or uh, bitching me about fucking my letterbox thing if they don't like it. They're like, that's not true, and I'm like, oh, all right, this is the only thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, I I, I wanted to respond to that. I wanted I to. I wanted to bring this up because it's kind of funny. Like I knew that fucking uh, twi like Twitter has like a huge like random Indian guy presence, but it like Indian dads on Twitter and TikTok got so mad about the fact that uh, the bag of Gita was quoted during a sex scene. So there's like a whole subgenre of videos of, of uh, Indian like, dads like, reacting middle -aged, to middle aged middle aged Indian men that are like 
Christopher Nolan, you must apologize to the Indian community for your use of the Bhagavad Gita in this uh, sex scene. I don't think there, that that's there, very appropriate. There's then, also that <laughs> Killing Murphy is like uh, pr- like anti-Japanese for some reason. I'm like, what? I don't because know. I don't know that, but but I, I just thought it was very funny to have like a middle a bunch of middle-aged men that were mad at Christopher Nolan in like fucking India. They're like, I demand an apology. It is like, no, don't give don't give Indian dads everywhere an apology. <laughs> Those are the letterbox one-liners for Oppenheimer. Please follow the show, J. Robert Flockenheimer. <laughs> the Trinity Test Button Pusher is logging all the stuff we cover on this show and uh, also stuff that we don't. Uh, I am Kona Neutron. Power stays in the shadows, but I don't. I'm all over that biz. I'm almost done with my Criterion Collection uh, challenge for 2023. Only got eight left, people. Eight left, and it's freaking September. I'm nailing if you, if you complete it, you become a uh, commerce secretary. So. I, be- <laughs> I, be- I become the Criterion Channel if I complete it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm commerce secretary right now. I'm following, uh, you know, follow me along for all the highbrow, like the midbrow, the populist fair. Like, like I said, like if you wanted, if you want all that stuff, I'm doing all of it. So that, that, that's uh, that's what you can do to find uh, find me there. Jay Andrew blowing up the world. His power's back on, and so is his letterbox access, one can Yo, imagine. Our, our commerce secretary right now is fucking Gina Raimondo, the fucking uh, ex-governor of Rhode Island that everybody fucking hated. Have uh, you ever seen their license plates? I can't believe Rhode Island's a state. Yeah. Rhode Island was Rhode Island was the the first to declare independence and the last to sign the Constitution. Like it is a little fucked up little uh, little state. It's, what are they at? Lovecraft? Nothing else, right? Rhode, so, Rhode, Rhode, Rhode Island is actually just a ship that crashed into Connecticut five hundred years ago. Well, it's a state now. They were just they were the they were the last holdout to become a country because they had like they're like we have some concerns and it's like shut up Rhode is, Island. Are there concerns <laughs> the fact that there's states like the size of my table? Or yeah, is that- I have concerns <laughs> that they have the same representation as California, which is like the fifth largest economy in the world. Yeah. But. <laughs> He's watching all the weirdest stuff, so you don't have to, or maybe so you can. J. Andrew World, he's doing it all in Letterboxd. Follow him for that. Disappointed Killian Murphy meme, Christina, is down there. She's she's back on the Letterboxd watching a bunch of Killian Murphy movies I didn't know existed, frankly. I'm going to be real here. Killian, if you're watching this, or if you find this, let me be your agent, your publicist. I can get you better roles, please. Don't I feel like the Oscar curse. I feel like you should have been paid for the publicity you've done during this Barbenheimer uh I know. Cycle. Moment for sure. If I ever interviewed Margaret Robbie or, or, or Kelly Murphy, I'd be like, yo, I was on top of the Barbenheimer stuff. I will big up you nine ways till Tuesday. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Was, I was You a can write us down as well. Like recommend- <laughs> recommendations. Back in 2023, I was a big Barbenheimer girl. <laughs> <laughs> Zach Marsh, this is a really tough of you to do this. By the way, the, the, the audio listeners have no idea what I'm talking about, but I put I make the smaller boxes when it's a bigger panel, but I look like I'm walking like an Egyptian with Steve Martin. But anyway, uh, wait, no, that was the Bengals. Never mind. Zach Marsh believes we did. He's also, uh, I, I believe he is on Letterboxd. Indeed, yes, he is my Letterboxd friend and uh, is logging all the stuff all around. Honestly, one of the better follows that you can do on that site that I, I personally you. feel. And yeah, um, yeah. He's got a strong aesthetic, and uh, he's he's doing it all. He's he's making the films. He's watching the films. He's appreciating the films. He's doing it all. What more do you want from him? Blood. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, if, if it gets me, if it gets me like more followers and gets me fame, I, you know, I, I I'll shed it. 
No line, no line is uncrossable. See, that's I'll it. Fo- just follow him, please. For a price, anything for the fame. <laughs> anything for the fame. This kid, he's going to do anything for the fame. We. <laughs> Jay the world, take us away with the plugs. You can arrive just in time. Thank you. Yes, I, I came here. I could <laughs> I not, uh, not be here. Take, us, take, us, take us away with the Plugenheimers. Yes, exactly. Um, you're watching yeah. us on YouTube. Please do all the YouTube things. Like, comment, subscribe, hit that bell. And, of course, um, watch the video to the end uh, because that, that allows uh, other movie fans to find our content. Uh, and you get to hear a great Conan Neutron song. So I think it's a fair trade. It's a fair exactly. trade. Especially if you're Suck it, Zimmer. Um, if you're over on uh twitch you can do the twitch things throw us a sub um if you happen to have an amazon prime account you can uh give us a sub for free doesn't cost you a penny but actually financially helps us so we can pay for things like you know hosting uh, fees and other stuff like buying you an internet apparently so you can be on the show (laughs) get that fiber Especially now that uh, I had no power. Like, like it would fiber would have done anything. (laughs) That Conan's, especially now that Conan's taking his uh break from doing streaming for the next little bit, and so the the streamyard uh the streamyard bill ends up falling on on my hands for the next for for your touring. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, I I peeped that. I got an email. Look, look, look. Are we going to keep this biz on, on air or are we going to talk about it like Matt? Yes. Because I'm sitting over here like this. I'm cool. I'm sitting here like. Yeah, exactly. But we are on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Blue Sky, of course, uh, is the new one. And, uh, you know, uh, talk to us. We will we'll, we'll, we will answer back. We're, 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 we're interactable. Except for me, except for Christina, yeah. Don't, don't talk to Christina. <laughs> Just don't. No, you can you can like. Sorry, was, was the pitch that we're interactable? That was the pitch. That was- <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was sitting in the dark coming up with this. You know, uh-huh. yeah, working on your type five. I see. Yeah, no, it, it was not a, an effective use of my time by candlelight. Uh, but we do have a Patreon um, that, that'll also help us out. Uh, so so you know. Uh, I won't have to sit in the dark candle. No, um, you can uh, have the access to things like our after parties. We had a uh, great one uh, the other night where uh, we celebrated uh, Forrest's birthday. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. Yeah. yeah. That was good. So if, uh, if I do say so myself. And, <clears throat> and, and, and you want to wish, uh, you know, you want to relive that that uh, birthday party that, that we uh, I somehow didn't see you sending the links to people on the show Twitter, too. Like, somehow didn't catch that at all while we were streaming. So, like, was completely surprised by it. And then later I looked and I was like, if I had checked Twitter, I would have known this was going to happen. But <laughs> I was I was distracted. Yeah, but no, it was it was a genuine surprise. And it was it was a good time had by all. So so um, please subscribe on Patreon so, so you can actually check that out uh, and have a lot of fun with that. And your weird stuff. Why do care? We talked about some weird shit. I just remember that. Like this. Remember this? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh and and uh and cory booker as uh as the kool-aid man it's a two-hour stream that that's the big payoff i was basically like this the whole time <laughs> <laughs> he was can't confirm <laughs> can't confirm can't confirm yes right. um speaking of well conan um he has he has protonic reversal 
I you do. had a big show on uh, Thursday. Yes. With uh, Sleepy Time Gorilla music, right? So close. <laughs> so close. Sleepy Time Gorilla Museum is the name of the band. Yes. Okay. I was like, oh, he's got it. Nope. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And it goes, uh, that goes to non patrons uh, tomorrow afternoon. Um, so if you're, if, if you, if you want to hear some Sleepy Time Gorilla music, yeah. But, but uh, yeah, if you want that right now, you can subscribe to your Patreon for just $1, $1 and, and $1 get dollar access to that. For just, for just $1, you can get access to Protonic Reversal. You can see all the shows. <laughs> <laughs> that was on topic. It was just in a different point. I know. It's only burning me in my half. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, we, we do have, um, if you want to get, uh, if you're not into Sleepy Time Gorilla Museum and you want some Conan <laughs> Neutron music, you can, you can actually go to Bandcamp, uh, NeutronFriends.Bandcamp.com, get the new split EP with Lung, uh, which is it's an LP. LP. An you're right. You're right. Six songs each. It's an LP. Yeah, it's a long play. Got it. Yep. Um, and it is fantastic. So there go. Go go do that. And if you don't do it, Conan's gonna <laughs> exactly. I look like that as I, as I try to pay our power bill. <laughs> this is this is this is Conan realizing how much the tour costs. <laughs> Not too far from the truth, frankly. <laughs> I'm like, how long are we gonna be out? Oh my god, when do we get paid for? Th- All right. Speaking of tours, you got one coming up. Exactly. Yes, yes, they do. Correct. Yes, so uh, we'll be missing him. <laughs> that's what. That's how. That's how I'm feeling about it right now. Spooky, <laughs> spooky month. We'll miss him. Yep. Here it is. Here it is. That's what I was looking for. Let's see. Uh, yeah. Scooby Dooby Doo. We got a tour yeah. long West Coast tour. Uh, was it at Phoenix, LA, San Francisco, Sacramento, Reno, Eugene? Portland, Bellingham, Seattle, Indiana, Rat City Recon. That's Rat City Recon right now. This is actually a scene from it. <laughs> it's exciting. Um, but yeah, uh, so so if you can, if you're on the West Coast, please check out Conan next month. If you're, on, month, if right? you're on the West Coast, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. No, Conan will be coming uh, soon. Just not in October. Conan, yeah, not, I not thought October. you were yeah. by coastal. Yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Perfect. For do, do you know? Did we talk? Did you do the bisexual light and skeleton when you were on last time, Zach? Did we talk about this? Uh, no, I don't think so. It doesn't sound familiar. <laughs> if you look up bisexual lighting, that's the example Wikipedia gives. Is the oh the yeah, I know bisexual lighting. I didn't. I did not know that the skeleton was the. No, the no, movie. he shows up. It's the mascot. Quite often. It's bisexual visibility show. month. Yeah. I, I took, if you if you go on my blue sky, my profile picture is accidentally bisexual lighting. Uh, nice. Just by chance. This guy's interested. The way, the he way likes your vibe. Saw you from across the room. <laughs> by skeleton, <laughs> by skeleton visibility month. Exactly. Oh, uh, we got one other show in uh, Louisville too. I forgot about that. That's uh, the the Monic uh, Schnitzel Schnitzelberg walk. It's so difficult to say. I'm like, whatever. People will figure it out. <laughs> Schnitzenheimer. Exactly. Well, that's that's not on the West Coast either. That's awesome. Yeah, so that that that's probably it. We'll see. I don't know. There, there's there's some things that's probably not going to happen. Well, we'll moving see. on. Yes, Christina, you have a you have a Twitch channel. 
Yeah. Anything anything exciting <laughs> happening on it? <laughs> well, um absolutely. By the way, can I just say sleepy time gorilla biscuits? That's basically a joke only for me, but I'm here for it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh yeah, we're you know, we're gonna do the Twitch thing and hang out with my community. Barbie's supposed to be uh released on Max. Okay, call that. Uh that's it, that's this on weekend. Fifth. On oh. the fifth. Oh, so okay, Tuesday. Yeah. So we might watch it during the weekend. We'll see. Barbenheimer weekend. So so yeah, yeah. sign up with uh Christina's Patreon and get access to to uh hanging out with her watching Barbie. Yeah, you'll see my Barbie review and my Barbie cosplay too. So yeah. How many times have you seen it? Barbie? Barbie? Yeah. Like eight times. That's some yeah, Zach Marsh everything everywhere times. all at once numbers. That's yeah, sad. you got you, you still gotta pump those up. I saw Yeah. Those are rookies. Let me put it this way. I've so, Actually, so no, I've seen, I think I've seen it ten times considering someone gave me something. So I've I've seen I've seen everything ever all at once forty times and only five <laughs> only only five of them. Five of them have been at home. No, I don't have that kind of money. I don't either, but I, that's that's <laughs> why he, I don't have that movie kind theater you could break into. <laughs> Come on, man. Has anybody got any of those movie tickets, man? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, just because uh, yeah, I haven't indeed. said it yet. But yeah, um, uh, it's uh, patreon.com slash cosmopolitics. I cannot mm-hmm. speak. Uh, but yeah, that's that's how you can support Christina. <laughs> you have like two hours to prepare. But I'm yeah. sitting in the dark. <laughs> you know, no internet access. <laughs> Like literally, the, the only candles we had were like the citronella candles to keep away the mosquitoes. So now the, the living room well, smells, no mosquitoes smells like that. Oof. Uh, yeah, yeah it was terrible. Not not a great smell. We had two of them going just so we could have some light because uh, that's the only candles we had. Well, and, and luckily no mosquitoes. mosquitoes. I'm very allergic to them, so we're we're not using those. All right, all right. Um, Come on. Yeah, but uh, Zach over here um, has a great movie y'all should check out. Um, uh, which I, I don't have written down because I was going to look it up right before we started and didn't have internet access. It's a talk in the park. I'm just going to rescue you on that. Talk one. in the park. Thank you. Uh, it is. It's not publicly available. Um, it will be at some point. But I mean, you know, if there are like film-minded people who want to see, it, I mean, for example, I mean, on this show, Christina, if you want to watch it, I'd be happy to send it your way. Yay! Uh, that's good. But, I've seen uh, it. That being said, it will be at some point. I am also. Uh, if anyone's following me on Instagram probably saw this, I just had a lightning bolt of inspiration make me treatment out an entire feature film. I'm working on the actual screenplay right now. It's called While We're on the Way to There, which is a line from the song He Ain't Heavy as My Brother. Oh, yeah. Um, which is a movie about a brother and his an, an older brother and his younger half-sister. And uh, it's got it's got it's got interesting inspirations that range from past lives to manchester by the sea to um you can count on me to uh fucking round midnight um it's very i think it's a really interesting film i'm really looking forward to seeing how the script turns out and i intend for it to be my next thing and i intend to make it as soon as possible I like I like how you say it, like you're not the one writing the script too. You're like I'm excited to see how the script turns out, you know. Why? Well, but I don't. But I don't know. You don't know, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it's, it's a writing you know? thing. Like it's an adventure. Yeah. No, I know, I know. But it's just, <laughs> I'm just like 
I'm, you know, I'm, that first I'm draft's leave, a wild ride, man. I'm yeah. gonna leave my uh, my 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 brain for a while. Tell me how the script turns <laughs> out. Yeah. Well, if you need someone to do uh, some scoring work for you, I know a guy. Uh, that that might be that might be a thing. Um, it's Hans Zimmer. No I'm kidding. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, obviously, yes. I can, I can afford. I can, well, between look, I'm way more affordable than Hans Zimmer. I guarantee. As, as, as I teased earlier, the movie the movie will have a needle drop that is part of it's it's the story depends on it. Uh, that will I imagine will be about ninety five percent of the movie's budget is getting the rights for the song in question. So it's not easy. It's it's a it's they there's entire divisions of people devoted to that in larger productions. So yeah. <laughs> That's a, is it is, that it is not. It is not a song on "To Pimp a Butterfly." <laughs> these are these are the plugs. Yes, these these are indeed the plugs. for thirty minutes. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, Zach, you got some final thoughts to throw out there about Oppenheimer? Oh my God! Uh, oh yeah, remember I, that I, movie? Yeah, these are yes. the movies we're talking about. Yeah, no, it's just it's it's funny. Like I've seen it four times. It was immediately an all-time top 10 movie for me. If I want to be specific, it's my sixth favorite movie of all time because two Godfather movies are one movie to me. So people mm. would say it's seventh, but it's not sixth. Um, Don't ever say that shit on my show again. The, two, the, <laughs> the first two Godfather movies are basically the same movie. They're one movie. They're two halves of one movie. It's no, like Superman one and two. And Coppola like, said that when he won Best Director the second time. So yeah, he didn't like the Godfather movies. He was just doing them for the money. I don't think that's true. He 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 literally was. He was like, I was trying to save up to do my own stuff. He was trying to save up to do uh, the conversation or whatever. He was trying to save up to do like his own, like his own yeah. projects, and he just was adapting them for like fun and profit. <laughs> but anyway, Oppen Oppenheimer is. Uh, a, a cinematic landmark you know i don't think there's any elements of it that i wouldn't apply one of the best of all one of the best x of all time to the cast the performances uh killian murphy should fucking walk away with the uh, with the oscar for if best actor up. um <laughs> yeah yeah he literally um, won awards where he's just sitting like at home and thanking people nervously like i know this i get it i get it I wish I had the I wish I had the picture of him sitting cross-legged, uh, naked. Except an award, yeah, yeah. I and I and I think I I think that Nolan has taken like the the story itself is not novel, but the way that the story is executed to me is like fucking form changing, and I don't think people even I don't think I don't even know if I've come to terms with how much of a culture shock this film is, and I think. The next 10, 20 years of blockbuster filmmaking, of biopics, I think are going to owe a heavy debt to Oppenheimer. Um, you know, and, and, you know, there will definitely be movies where it's like, oh, that's just a shitty version of Oppenheimer. But I also think <laughs> there are going to be some really brilliant things that come to fruition as a result of this movie's influence. And I, and I think that it's, it, uh, there are already people saying, oh, it's one of the best movies of the 21st century, et cetera. They're right, but I think that the acclaim is is going to grow even more substantially over the well, next. You already see. Year. I, I was going to ask if you were those people that were saying that. <laughs> I am one of them, but I've seen. But I've seen like you know. I I think was it Peter Travers said it was said it was as well. Like there have been sure. like oh, yeah. you know reviews yeah. and stuff. Like there are things that have come out. Um, but but I think that it's I think its stature has is 
only a, a portion of what it's going to become over the next years and decades. I feel like you already see like the promo they've been doing for Bernstein or whatever, like copying the Oppenheimer yeah, promo. Yeah, oh fuck yeah, yeah. Like I, I think that trail, I think that trailer would not have come out in the way that it did if this movie didn't exist. Yeah. So I think that they're gonna see way more bio. They're just gonna just find random scientists and be like Edward Teller the movie. Like, yeah. yeah. Look, Teller, if they make, if they make a Feynman movie, movie, that would that would be awesome. Yeah. But it'd like be, it'll be you that's really excited and his family and. <laughs> <laughs> Feynman was hilarious. Think about Feynman is Feynman made physics interesting for people that have no interest whatsoever in hearing about science. That's what what, what like his like claim to fame is, and he's deeply entertaining. So it it actually would lend itself better than uh, than that meme even. Yes. All right. Um. But uh, Christina, you got you got final thoughts? Yeah. Uh. This is Christopher Nolan's magnum opus, as Killing Murphy has said. Like, this is literally like, I don't think Almost he's like ever a magnum gonna... opie. Yeah. <laughs> Can I do my fucking review? Anyway, um, <laughs> I, got, I got to get home by like 11. Um, back to the cat sitting. But um, phenomenal cast, phenomenal editing. I know people are like, but but the too much talking. And I'm like, what the fuck is a movie about? Like, what what is in a, what is in a movie? Like, I'm just saying. Um, but yeah, I think Killing Murphy's probably gonna get the Oscar if he shows up or not. He's probably like, yeah, whatever. Um, nervous. Um, incredible ensemble cast. Um, the detail to try to get as much accurate as possible. Like you could not do it any better than this film. And I've seen this film four times, and I always notice something different every time I see it. So for people who are doubting, go see this movie. You're a real Killianologist. Yes. Um, <laughs> Chief Conan, President Killianologist. Actually, Andy, Andy, let's hear let's hear these uh, these final thoughts because yeah, I, 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 know, actually... I know that they're going to be uh, based on the fact that you watched it on the on the um, <laughs> on FFS films. <laughs> I, you How know, I, I gotta you. say, like, I was not uh, excited about this movie. With, you know, because like everybody was hyping uh... it up. Um, <laughs> I, well, 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 here, hear me out, hear me out. Um, uh, you know, uh, I, I mean, like, like one of one of the things is like uh, uh, <laughs> Nolan has his problems, uh, and they're and, and he can over he overcomes them. Like, like uh, uh, as I mentioned on on Facebook on our conversation, like, like he doesn't really write good parts for women, but he allows the actresses he he brings into the film to to have enough space to give great performances. This is and, a man's world. Yeah, I mean, he has a very male's gaze. I mean, I mean, you know, that's just his, you know. Um, his his uh his uh oh god the feet yeah uh, and then but that that being said again uh he does give the 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 uh you know um the the women in this film uh there's actually two women which is surprising me none of them have daddy issues which also surprised me um because that's that's like like almost every single woman he has in his film has like daddy issues or like a vixen try to try you know try, try to uh screw the man and neither of them are really like that um they, 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 you know, uh, I'm not going to say if they had that much depth to them, but they, but their performance was great because he gave them enough space to allow to, um, you know, in the script to, to, um, uh, to make you think that there's more depth than the, than probably on the written page, but that's okay because that's what a good screenwriter can do is let the actors do what they do best. And a good director does that too. And, uh, because like I said, the movie and also Christopher Nolan is both. <laughs> yes. And this movie starts off, you know, like like 
you're just thrown in the middle of it. There's no like breathing space and you're just, you know, it, it just go and, and you're, you're on this wild ride and like, you're, you're like a, you know, two hours in before you're just like finally kind of like up on everything that's going on and, and like really get the rhythm of it. And, and uh, you know, the first time watching it. So I did thoroughly. Well, enjoy the problem it. is that they, you know, they have all these casino things and they distract you from <laughs> the actual movie. So it takes you a while to really get into the, into the meat of it. Right. That's the, yeah, well, I wasn't going to bring that up, you know, just, just, uh, but anyways, it really, uh, it really, like I said, it, it was uh, not, I, I had low expectations for this film, um, but it, it exceeded them because, you know, Nolan is actually a very talented filmmaker. All right, Conan. Yeah, look, uh, this is actual representation for physics enthusiasts and certainly the most Chris Nolan of Chris Nolan films. And if you don't like that dude's things, don't see it. Uh, I think that it's so often you see physics depicted as scientists and lab codes doing a science, you know, uh, with math mm. on a whiteboard or a blackboard. And some of the most interesting parts of physics have very little to do with math. And that's something the movie gets across well. Again, to quote uh, Richard Feynman, portrayed by Jack Quaid, physics is to math what sex is to dry humping. And, and that's a... Uh, this is one of the only movies that shows that. And I, I, I really love that. Uh, there is nuance here. Uh, dudes do rock, which is even more apparent after having seen uh, Gerwig's surprisingly transgressive Barbie, uh, for sure. And that kind of speaks to what Andy was saying. Uh, I never expect to see actual quantum mechanics broken down the way that they were here. And for anyone to know or care, the difference between fission and fusion, for instance. And um, you don't have to have any interest in the periodic table of the elements to enjoy this. And it, it, mm -hmm. it does a great job of showing why it's important. And why that there's an entire discipline of science that has nothing to do with the lab. Uh, and I think so much of our culture is focused on that if you didn't make it with your hands, it doesn't exist in real life and it isn't work. Which is like a weird throwback to like older ideas about labor. Uh, it not only isn't true, it, it really, for the most part, isn't worth arguing. But engineering and theory are absolutely not just work, but uh, worthwhile. And the biggest problem is it's very hard to depict. This is one of the only films I can think of at its level that does that. And I think it's very well acted. I think Killian pretty much has best actor in the bag at this point. Yeah. And um I will be campaign. He he's not gonna want a campaign, but I'm for it. I'll do it. Everyone um, else will do it for him. Robert Downey Jr.'s arc as Lewis Strauss is not just awesome, but but depicts a great resting insecurity of the autodidact and self-made man in a world of lifetime career professionals that I don't think I've ever seen anywhere else. Uh, and it's he's consistently plagued by imposter complex and a certain degree of paranoia about being accepted. And he collects slights like baseball cards. And it's completely tragic. And, and I love it. And it's a great role for him. And the fact that the whole back third is dominated by that is astounding. But this movie is great. I, I saw it twice. I got more out of it the second time. I'll probably see it a third time. Uh, super glad that we covered it. Super glad that it exists. Could not be more pleased. It was wrapped up inexorably for all of time with the Barbie movie. <laughs> I love that we cover both of them. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think that this is, this is, it's very in the zeitgeist. I, I think that this also uh, touches on like the, the military political system and physics and the way that right. they're, uh, you know, intertwined for all time, which it kind of in, on some level happened here, right? Like, uh, because this is like pre space program even. And like pre mm -hmm. uh, satellites and like, you know, our our kind of uh, military industrial complexization of 
uh, you know, all of these places like Caltech and Berkeley, like this is where kind of that whole seed sprouted up. So I kind of find like the the scientific plus political aspects of it, because those are very different worlds and people have very different opinions within those worlds um, to be deeply fascinating about this movie without kind of droning on and be like, this is what this movie is about. Like, it doesn't right. slow walk you through that. Um, you know, and, and especially if you read the American Prometheus, which I think everyone that sees this should. Like, uh, that's why I've been, you know, plugging it so much because there's so much of that, uh, mm. of this movie. Oh, really? I haven't noticed. No, <laughs> like, scene, like, scene by scene, there's so much that This is you news get. to me. Ah, ah, you like that book, huh? All right. Well, no, but there's so much uh, that he took directly from the book. So I, I would encourage everybody to read the book because there's entire scenes that are just wrapped up in one line of dialogue that when you read the book, you're like, oh, sure. this is important for all of these reasons. And, you know, yeah. And uh, I am now... In summation, it fucks. Thank you. Yeah. I was going to say, I am now become death, uh, destroyer of streams.